Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Football Thirty Podcast. My name is Jeff Crisco. I'm here with my co-host Walker Kelly and Mike Valverde. Walker, how's your day going? Oh, it's all right. You know, just uh, running around doing some stuff, getting uh, getting my life together, folks. It's happening. Oh, it's happening. Um, running around doing stuff is uh, going to be the name of my autobiography. <laughs> I'm I'm busy. I'm busy. Uh, what do you want? <laughs> Not my problem. <laughs> Mike, how's your day going after we spent the last 40 minutes talking to our guest today? Yeah, it's going a lot better. Um, yeah, it was great to talk with JJ Burden, uh, especially knowing him, you know, as as a football player. And he, he, he was the kind of guy that would always like just splash on my TV screen here and there. And I'm like, who's this JJ Bergen guy? But every time I see a game, he'd be like doing something and, and exciting and electrifying player and getting to talk to him. Um, it, it was just great. So uh, yeah, look forward to that later in the, in this episode, but yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. So uh, Walker wasn't around, but uh, Mike and I were able to talk to JJ Burden, who was in the NFL for nine seasons. He corrected me. Nine seasons. <laughs> he had stats in seven in the NFL for nine seasons. Motivational speaker, uh, really good guy to talk to. Um, Mike and I did that interview. That'll be at the end of the episode. Um, so you can look forward to that. Uh, as for the rest of the episode, we're going to continue through with our uh divisional previews uh this week is afc west and nfc west and i'll have a thing or two to say about this um player profile month is here um all the player profiles will be out well i guess the first round of them will be out on monday that'll be 160 player profiles um i will continue to do them they are all going into the draft kit which is also going to be out on monday that's going to be updated once a week with all the information for example the michael thomas thing where Michael Thomas is like, surprise, I'm not on PUP. Everything's fine. Um, that'll be reflected in the first update, things like that. Um, that's going to be $7 for the draft kit. You can uh, email us, footballabsurdity at gmail.com. We'll email that over to you as well as any updates when they happen. Or if you're a patron, you get it in your Patreon feed, and that's $3 a month. Um, we're doing Twitch streams, uh, Twitch drafts. Uh, Lead and Evan host them. I joined them this weekend. Uh, for a um, salary cap draft and then a snake draft. And um, I tried something in this salary cap draft, did not work, did not work at all. I did not budget my <laughs> money wisely at all. I was like, it was a 14 team and I was like, all right, I'm going to get two studs and I'll just fill in with a bunch of like between like 20 and 28 guys and just really clean up. And then I got none of them. So I had like studs and then just garbage. <laughs> so <laughs> going uh, great. Yeah, so that's at twitch.tv slash footballabsurdity. Uh, you can check out the Discord, tiny.cc slash fbabsurdity. Twitter is at fballabsurdity, at Big Daddy Dricks for Walker, RFL Red Zone for Mike, Jeff Crisco for me, K-R-I-S-K-O. All right. So, I, uh, I, I, uh, no offense to JJ, but Mike said he's not really up on current NFL, so I, I kind of uh, simplified today's Pick Your Poison and... Uh, so it's it's going to be a pretty easy one if you folks are ready for that. All right, let's do it. Easy All right. the better. That's what I always say. At least I have a better chance of getting it right. All right. Well, who knows? Sometimes I big brain things. Oh, yeah, it's big brain time. Um, Who will be the most productive sophomore wide receiver this year not named Jamar Chase? Out of Jalen Waddell of Miami, 
Devonta Smith of Philadelphia or Rashad Bateman of Baltimore? Mike, I'm going to ask you. This is not, not easy. To not just knee-jerk reaction, the Baltimore uh, wide receiver is having the best year because you love their passing game. We know you love their passing game. I, I love Lamar Jackson. Love. Yeah. All right. D-O-U-B-D-T-E-D. Uh, <laughs> All right. I don't know how to spell. Mike, 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 you're on timeout. Walker, you go first. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's Jalen Waddle. Um, I don't have him that far ahead of Bateman. I have Waddle at wide receiver 20 and Bateman at 24. But I uh, I think Waddle has established himself the most uh, of the non-chase rookie uh, receivers from last year. He's got a pretty stable role in their offense. I don't think it'll change a whole lot. I think that's what he's good at. He's good at making catches underneath. He's good at making people miss in the open field. Not a very big guy, so he's not going to catch a ton of touchdowns. He's not going to go up and get the ball, really. But in that middle of the field area, he's very effective. So I would expect him to soak up a lot of short area targets to have a pretty productive season, especially in PPR. And I think he's a solid wide receiver, too. All right, Mike, who do you think has the most productive season out of Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith and Rashad Bateman? Rashad Bateman. Woo! Spicy. All right. Yeah. uh, Let's hear more. So so basically it breaks down to this. Okay, Jalen Waddle would have been my pick if Tyreek Hill um, wasn't there. Uh, Devonte Smith, AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts. No. Uh, and then plus Jalen Waddle actually outplayed Devonte Smith anyway. So no. And Rashad Bateman. Okay. Who, 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 who's Lamar Jackson targeting outside of Mark Andrews? James Prosh. Uh, so <laughs> Rashad Bateman is going to have, as long as he stays healthy, a fantastic season, a very, very good route runner, someone that's going to thrive in that intermediate um, short zone that uh, Lamar Jackson loves to target and is very accurate with. Uh, the only question mark I have maybe are touchdowns, but really is Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns? No. Uh, so reception should be higher. Yard should be pretty solid. And, you know, I'm not really worried about the touchdowns. None of these guys are going to score a lot of touchdowns. So by the end of the season, I think Bateman um, outpoints him in full PPR uh, with catches and um, yards. So he'll be the point winner. Yay, Bateman. I don't think it's going to be Devonta Smith, but I need to make a case for Devonta Smith since we had Waddle and Rashad Bateman. Um, Here's the case for Devonta Smith. Pretend my hands. I made a little the case for Devonta Smith. Um, (laughs) He accounted for the same percentage of his team of the Eagles passing yards as um, Jalen Waddle accounted for the the percentage of Miami's passing yards. Uh, I did great. Nailed it. Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith accounted for the same percentage of their respective teams passing yards. See, I got it right the first time. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Last year, the only problem was, was that Philadelphia didn't pass so much. And that was going to be my big hammer drop this year when people talked about Jalen Waddle versus Devonta Smith. Then they had to go out and get A.J. Brown. But Miami also went out and got Tyreek Kill. And if one of those two players has a higher chance of missing time, it's going to be um, A.J. Brown. And behind A.J. Brown and uh, Devonta, for everybody at home, those were Mike's dog's ears. <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> that, 
thunderous clap there. Uh, Mike was not making it clap uh, while I was talking. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I hope JJ doesn't listen to that part. Um, all right. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, behind Devonta Smith is only Dallas Goddard. If AJ Brown misses time. But if Terry Kill misses time. It's Jalen Waddle. It's Mike Kosicki. It's Chase Edmonds. It's Sed Wilson. It's the running backs. There's a lot more depth there. I don't think that Devonta Smith is going to outscore Bateman or Waddle, but I do think that there's more opportunity there than people are giving him. Um, the only problem is, is that Jalen Hurts doesn't want to pass the ball. Um, so nor that, should he. Nor should he, says Mike. Mike says Lamar Jackson, Ooh. great passer. Jalen Hurts, bad <laughs> passer. Mike always talks about how great of a passer Lamar Jackson is. So, always. All right. Always. So that was Pick Your Poison. So we're going to go ahead and move on and talk about the AFC and NFC West. This episode, um, you'll hear us quote some uh, ADP. That is going to be from 444.com's composite ADP that uh, does uh, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, uh, NFL.com, uh, MFL, uh, and, and Underdog, and Fantrax. Thank you. I probably should have just pulled up the episode. No, they don't have Sleeper, which is oh, wild. Interesting. Yeah, I probably should have pulled it up for the episode, but I didn't, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, so, uh, yeah. I uh, Sorry, my, my, my friend just sent me a screenshot of a tweet where he harassed a member of the fantasy football community. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Great. He asked Matt F. the Oracle if he was dropped on his, on, uh, his head as a child. That sounds like something Tony would have done. Yeah, well, it's because he said he'd draft Julio Jones to Allen Robinson in fantasy, which... Dumb statement. Dumb statement. You're dumb. All right. In All more right, exciting so, news, the Giants got swept by the Diamondbacks. Oh, boy. All wow. right. So Great. let's talk about the Denver Broncos. We'll start there. We'll start with... Uh, Russell Wilson, uh, ever heard Broncos of him? Country, let's ride. Bronco, <laughs> Broncos <laughs> Country, let's ride. I think that's going to be the name of the episode. Broncos Country, let's ride. Uh, did you guys see um, him coming to camp today? Yeah, in his like Jeep that's four times as big as it needs to be. Wearing his own jersey. Yep. What a dork. This guy's such a dork. My Ru- God. Russell Wilson is the biggest loser of all time, except that he's married to Sierra. And imagine, imagine, imagine that dork owning your team for a decade. <laughs> hey, I got our franchise has been owned for over a decade by an anti-vax like nature weirdo. Yeah, but we thought he was a smart guy for most of that time. We thought he was an intellectual for most of that time. But Russell that? Wilson and Rogers. Rogers. Oh, yeah. But uh, Russell, yeah, Russell Wilson's such a dork and he's always been a dork. And it's yeah. like he's such this like. It makes me so. It made me so mad for so long that no, he Russell would like. Wilson is lame. Yeah, he would go out. He dropped like 303 with 100 rushing yards, and then he'd go to his press conference in like an oversized uh, Hawaiian shirt and white New Balances, and it's like, come on, like this is the guy killing our team. <laughs> My anyway. performance unlimited. <laughs> unlimited. I was so excited to not have to play against Russell Wilson this year, and the 49ers are playing the Broncos in Week Three, I think. So it's like, great. <laughs> Anyways, Russell Wilson, quarterback 10, 77 overall, uh, AAV of $3.4. Uh, 
I'm coming around on Russell Wilson on the Denver Broncos as what might be potentially the the big quarterback steal. Um, quarterback 10 is way too low for a guy that has, before last year with the mallet finger, has not finished outside the quarterback one ranks. Also, hasn't missed a game in his career until the mallet finger. And it's to the point with Russell Wilson that it's almost not even look, worth looking at his statistics last year. Because he came back way too early from that mallet finger because he is such a tryhard dork that he had to come back early. Like there was all the things of him like running two minute drills by himself and all this stuff. And hey, if it's me, my two, I, I, I score a touchdown in one play. My defense gets the ball back, score another touchdown. One. I'm playing against air. I can do whatever I want. But um, before that point, uh, before the injury game, he played four games. Uh, he had uh, 261 yards, 2.3 touchdowns per game, uh, not running as much as he used to. And I think that's the one thing with Russell Wilson that's really dragging him down is he is not so much of a runner as he used to be. Um, last year, he only granted. Did he, he only missed two games? That's ridiculous. I forgot. Oh, three games. He missed three games. He missed three games last year, but he only rushed the ball 43 times. You compare that to the four years prior, uh, 95, 67, 75, and 83. So he's losing that rushing floor, but he still rushed for multiple touchdowns. I still think that's a part of his game. Um, but you can't call Russell Wilson one of these rushing quarterbacks anymore. He's He rushes like Aaron Rodgers rushes now, and that makes sense. He's 33 years old. He's going to be... Uh, 34 soon. Uh, in That's November. the one that comes after 33. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing when he turns 34. You know what? I'm kicking Walker off the market. <laughs> Mike, we did fine. We did fine without him before. So. Here. Goodbye. Uh, You're fired. But anyways, Russell Wilson. I think that he's becoming a big steal of the draft because we'll talk. We're going to talk about the Broncos receivers, how they've been kind of disappointing in the NFL. But one thing I keep coming back to is, do we definitively know? If DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett is is a better group, a better pair than Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, or is it because one of them had Russell Wilson and the other one had Drew Locke? And I think that, you know, in an offense that's going to throw the football, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's there, uh, spent his time with Aaron Rodgers. Ever heard of him? Uh, He's a cool guy. You haven't heard of him? Okay. Walker, I want you to Google Aaron Rodgers COVID and just listen to whatever he has to say. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. He's a smart guy, and he co he cosplays as Cameron Poe um, in his off days. That is Nick Cage from Con Air. Um, One of the greatest movies of all time. It's arguably the weakest of the, like, Con Air, The Rock, and uh, Face Off trio. But it is better than Broken Arrow, so I'll give you that. Uh, anyways, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, I think he's a huge steal right now in drafts. I think that, um, you know, at QB 10, if you're one of the people that wants to wait and wait and wait and wait, he's probably your last opportunity at getting a starter that you'll never eyeball a replacement on the waiver wire at any point this season. Cause in Denver with Nathaniel Hackett, they lost their offensive line coach, but the offensive line was better than Seattle's, uh, has traditionally been. I think that Russell Wilson could thrive, and I think he could be, you know, I think 40-something touchdowns is is well within his range of outcomes. Um, I think this is going to be a situation where a rising tide lifts all boats. So 
Uh, Russell Wilson, QB 10, 77 overall. I think that that's a, a huge steal. So I, I have Russell Wilson as my QB 11, so I disagree. You hate him. I hate Russell Wilson. I think that he's the worst. No, he's, mm-hmm. he's fine. Um, I just I don't see the huge upside. I, I think with the strong rushing offense that Denver has, I think it's going to be pretty similar to what Hackett was doing with the Packers, where the passing volume is a little bit lower. And it's a two head monster out of the out of the running back room. Um, and I don't think Russell Wilson is as good as Aaron Rodgers. So I don't think he's going to be able to manufacture like 37 touchdowns and four picks out of that. He'll probably be something more around like 30 touchdowns and 10 picks. And without running, I just don't really see that being high end QB one production. I think that he'll be in the top 12. And I don't think that he's a bad pick at his ADP, but I just don't think he's a great pick either. I think he's priced pretty appropriately right now. Okay. Mike, what are your thoughts on on uh, Russ? I see him finish anywhere between 7 and 10. I think 10 is his floor to me. Uh, yeah. Just because he can run. And look at the offense they have. And Broncos' offense is stellar. So why would we think he's going to fall even further down the road than he was at Seattle? You know, um, so 10 is to me is his floor. All right. So I'm out on the island here. Yes, you are. You hate Russell Wilson. Just admit it. Admit it. I won't. Well, well, I think the main question is why do you have him at 11? I mean, he's in the same tier as quite a few other guys. I just I have him slightly lower because I think his ceiling is slightly lower than guys like Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford. You know, it's Matthew I, I, Stafford. That's what did it. <laughs> I have Walker Dak. is yeah. a known Matthew Stafford head. That's true. Um, but yeah, I have. Uh, what do I, have? I have eight through ten. I have um, Prescott, Stafford, Burrow. So I just decided that you know I I had Wilson just behind those guys. Um, you know, I could definitely see him finishing. You know, barring injuries to other guys, I could see him finishing as high as seven um but i could definitely see him finishing as low as i don't know 13 so i i just think it's a little bit i think his floor is a little bit lower than you guys do i suppose but i certainly like i said i certainly don't think he's a bad option i mean if if wilson is the guy out of that tier that falls to you then that's fine yeah so all right and um i'm pulling up the four for four adp here i want to see uh, who goes last in that tier? So you said it was Stafford, Russ, Dak, and Burrow? Yeah, my guess is that Stafford has the lowest ADP. Yeah, by six picks to Russell Wilson. So. Yeah, because Burrow's going six, Prescott's yeah. going eight, I think. Uh, he's nine in this one. Nine, and then Wilson, 10, Stafford, 11. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, Burrow's ADP is out of control, but we already talked about that last week. All right. All right, so running backs. Uh, Javante Williams, RB10, 19 overall, 47.7 AAV. Melvin Gordon, RB35, 100 overall, 2.8 AAV. And this has had plenty of time to adjust to Melvin Gordon signing. So, uh, Walker, what the bleep is going on here? (laughs) That's insane. Yeah, they should be a lot closer. Um, Yeah. I have Williams at RB15 and Gordon at RB26. Um, this is much more of a Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt situation than people want to admit, um, or an AJ or an Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon situation. Um, it's 
both of these guys are going to be productive. Williams will be a little bit more productive. He's younger. He can hold up to a bigger workload, but it's going to be more like a 55 to 60% share for Williams and a 40 to 45% share for Gordon. Um, don't pay $48 in a salary cap draft for Javante Williams. Please don't do that. Yeah, spend uh, the $3 on Melvin Gordon instead. Right. Spend $3 on Melvin Gordon and $44 on, I don't know, DeAndre Swift or something. Um, but I, I, I'm completely out on Williams at cost. I think he's a good player, but I just don't see any way that he's a top 10 running back this season unless Gordon gets hurt right away. And uh, Gordon is a good value because he's not going to be in a role that's going to tax him a ton. And he's in a good offense. He'll get chances at the goal line. He'll catch the ball. You know, he's going to be one of the most productive non-starters in the league. So, um, yeah, Gordon's a good flex play. Williams is an RB2 that's masquerading as an RB1 in ADP. So I'm out on Williams and I'm in on Gordon. That's how I feel about it, where it's they're not going to be as far apart as you think they're going to be. And their price difference is out of control. I can tell you what happened here. Javante Williams had the backfield to himself for one game, had a massive effort in that game. And then uh, Melvin Gordon didn't sign until later in the offseason. So everybody on all the fantasy Illuminati sat there and thought about that Javante Williams game where he had the had the game to himself. Twenty three carries, 102 yards, six receptions, 76 yards and a touchdown. And they haven't adjusted for the fact that Melvin Gordon is back. Like, and and Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, if you look at all of their under the hood metrics, they're almost identical. They're like 16th or 17th in like every metric, the two of them, uh, like uh, rushing yards over expectation and like juke rate and yards created per touch and all this stuff. They're like back to back. And Melvin Gordon had more goal line carries, whereas Javante Williams had more targets. And that's like the only way if you look at just their touches are there per touch stats that you can differentiate them? So, Mike, what do you think about Javante Williams versus Melvin Gordon? Well, everything that you guys just said, and it doesn't really make sense anyways, because if they're having Javante Williams as an RB10, which means he's going to have this backfield predominantly to himself, then why is Melvin Gordon an RB35? Shouldn't he be around Alexander Madison kind of range of, you know, RB48, whatever? So that doesn't even make sense either. Uh, it's like they either he's he's uh, Alexander Madison or as Walker was saying, he's uh, AJ Dillon, um, you know, Kareem Hunt, which would be RB 22, 24. They have him in between both of those guys. And so none of this makes sense. Yeah, it's it's just exuberance over Javante Williams that never uh, met reality. Right, exactly. It's, yeah, yep. and so if, if you think Javante Williams is going to have this backfield to himself, then you have to have Gordon around RB48. If if it's going to be close, then you got to move um, Gordon up to around twenty RB22 to 24, if not higher. Yeah. So, yeah, no. Yeah, so... Our our take on this is uh, take Melvin Gordon at price and not Javante Williams because they're going to be much closer than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, Walker nailed it when they said the the Nick Chubb Green Hunt situation. So, all right, let's talk about the wide receivers. Uh, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, twenty two, uh, fifty seven overall, six point eight by AAV. Jerry Judy, wide receiver, twenty four, sixty two overall, and four point seven dollars. 
and little Timmy Patrick, who would probably pound <laughs> me into the ground. He'd probably pound me into the ground if you heard me call him little Timmy yeah, Patrick. Yeah, he would. Wide receiver, he's like, what, 6'4"? Yeah, he's <laughs> pretty big. Yeah, wide receiver 62, 146 overall, and he's a dollar. So, Mike, why don't you go ahead and talk about these guys? So, the fact that what tells me is Cortland Sutton at wide receiver 22, Jerry Judy at 24, tells me they don't know which one it's going to be. Is it going to be Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy? Um, and I don't know who's going to be either. But one of those will fit around there. The other one is going to fall off to wide receiver 40, 45. And I think Tim Patrick at wide receiver 62. Um, it, it, the guy finished as a wide receiver 42, I believe, last year with Drew Locke. And now he's a wide receiver 62 with Russell Wilson. You, you, you need to go the other way. Uh, I, I would believe this if they jump 22 spots the other way. But to drop him back another 20 with Russell Wilson, uh, this this is just all the fact that people don't know who Tim, Timmy Patrick is or where he finished or what he can do on the field. And he if, if you want someone that is and I say this every single episode or every time we talk about Timmy Patrick, if you want someone that's like DK Metcalf, D, Tim Patrick is DK Metcalf, just not as talented. And so uh, at 62, I'm buying this every single situation I can possibly gather. It's ridiculous that he's a wide receiver 62. All right, Walker, your thoughts on, um, instead of talking about Timmy Patrick, why don't you talk about Jerry Judy versus Cortland Sutton, which is, I think the discussion about this team that should have the most, uh, uncertainty surrounding it. Yeah. I mean, I I'm just going with the guy who has produced a good season before. So I, I have Sutton at wide receiver 23. I have Judy at 40. Um, I, I think Judy is a big time bust this year just because I, I can't trust him to produce when he hasn't done it. Mm-hmm. And Sutton has had a good fantasy season before. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that I got to go with what I know and in, in an uncertain situation, I know that Sutton has the capability to be a top 24 receiver. I don't know that Judy does. So if he does it, fine, you know, I, but I don't, I, I think you're picking him near his ceiling at wide receiver 24. And I, I, I think the floor is pretty low. So I'm, uh, I'm targeting Sutton, not Judy. Yeah. We're doing this thing with Cortland Sutton, which I think we talked about before where, um, when Emmanuel Sanders was traded to the 49ers a few years ago and Cortland Sutton did not take this big step forward. He was just still really good. Like he already was. Um, everybody got really mad at him and just kind of downgraded him for no real, no real reason. Um, I would also be taking the Cortland Sutton side of this because I mean, there's no better way than how Walker put it. He's done it before. Right. Jerry Judy hasn't. Their price is almost the same. Bet on the guy who's done it before. And we have this idea that, you know, oh, let's let's try to map what the Seahawks did onto the the Broncos. And, you know, we'll try to figure out, you know, Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick being led by uh, Nate Hackett is way different than, uh, you know, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and insert third wide receiver here. David Moore, I guess. Freddie Swain. Yeah, Freddie Swain. John Ursua. Um, (laughs) being led by Brian Schottenheimer, you know, who wanted to, the offense in Seattle was run, 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 bomb it out, let Russ run around and then bomb it out. So 
you know, that could be something different here in Denver. And we're just trying to just copy and paste what happened in Seattle onto Denver. And I don't think that that's very smart. And um, as such, all the people are saying, well, KJ Hamler could do this. Uh, stop it. Stop it. Please stop it. Um, my only pushback against Timmy P is neither Russell Wilson nor Nathaniel Hackett has shown a great desire to try to get their third wide receivers involved. Um, but the ten, the obvious pushback to that is, well, that neither one of them have had a third wide receiver as good as Tim Patrick. Um, right. So I, I would don't say think that Tim Patrick is a third wide receiver in this offense. Uh, explain. <laughs> He thinks well, that he thinks that Patrick's ahead of Judy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Um, Tim Patrick was really good last year in spelling for Jerry Judy, and they have there's that statistic where you know when the three of them played together, um, I think Tim Patrick had 50 targets to like 38 and 51 for Judy and and Sutton, but uh, 10 of those were in Week 18. So I think that Tim Patrick is the number three guy, Mike. Now, granted. Granted, I think the difference here might be the definition between one, two, and three, which is Tim Patrick could easily out-target Jerry Judy, but Jerry Judy will easily have more air yards. Because, you know, Judy. Tim Patrick, he's well, good. I think Judy had more air yards. I don't, I don't think that that'll be the case at all. Yeah, I'm, no way. Oh, okay. Patrick goes deep and Judy runs like intermediate routes. Right. Judy will be the slot. Okay, you're correct. You're correct. So I, I got I got all turned around there. Um, I, what I meant to say was the opposite of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. That makes sense. The, yeah, I that's... meant to say what what I meant to say was the exact opposite of what I did say. Okay. So you you think that Judy will get more targets than Patrick, and therefore he's more valuable in PPR. I think that he would. Yeah, that's why I said it depends on what you mean by the number two and number three. Because if you think the guy that gets more targeted is is the number two, then it's Judy. If you think the guy that gets the more impactful downfield targets, then it would be Tim Patrick. So I think it all depends on your your definition. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and I have I have Judy and Patrick at forty and forty five. So I think that they're you know they have different roles, but I think they'll end up in pretty similar spot in terms of fantasy finish. Um, Patrick is the best value here. Um, but I think Sutton will be the highest scorer of their receivers. Yeah. So let me ask this. I'll ask this of each of you and then we'll move on to uh, the tight ends here, which is. Um, are you drafting? Because it sounds like the consensus is Tim Patrick's a good value. Mm-hmm. Jerry Judy is not a good value. Mm-hmm. But Cortland Sutton at 22. Are are we doing this? Uh, maybe. I mean, I have him at 23, so I'm pretty close to consensus. God, Walker, hold on. You got to stop hating on the players that we bring up like this. Yeah, I got to stop being one below. <laughs> yeah, come yeah. on. Uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I think that if Sutton falls a little bit in the draft, then yeah, I'll snap him up. Um, if, if he goes early, then I won't have him, you know, but around ADP, yeah, I, I think he's a good pick. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, so I have uh, uh, Walker. You're way better with names. Albert Okwebunum. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's Okwebunum. I think. Yeah, I I I missed. There's a there's a syllable that I can't hit, and a 
and uh, um, I put the emphasis in the wrong spot. So we'll just call him Alberto, because uh, I a okay. I don't like mispronouncing people's names, and I cannot seem to get my. This is my Tua Tungo Vailoa. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my a okay. A okay. Um. So <clears throat> Alberto. Um. I said say a okay. Oh, never A-okay. mind. A okay. A okay. A okay. A okay. Alexandria Ocasio Kabunum. Kabunum. Um, A-OK. Uh, he has had kind of an uneventful first two years in his career, mostly because four games into his first season, he uh, tore his ACL, and that was after he was inactive for four games. So, um, you know, he hasn't really had a chance to get his career going for um, Denver, but he is an athletic prospect coming out of school he doesn't have an RAS score he's really fast though yeah because he yeah. didn't do any agility tests but he's very fast he is a an elite uh 449 40 for his size um his comp was Vance McDonald on player profile which is kind of hideous but Vance McDonald was a good prospect coming out um he just had stone hands and never made it in the NFL so Albert Okwebunum is Okwegbunum, Alberto, A-OK, is he's in the blob of tight ends. And I forgot to mention where he's drafted. Tight end 17, 139 overall, 1.2 AAV. Um, so he's in the blob of tight ends. And he is in the blob somewhere where I there are other players that I would rather have than Alberto. But he's on my list of players that I would take in the blob if I was taking two guys. Mainly what I want to push back on is this idea that Greg Dulcich is going to take enough targets to hurt Alberto. Nope. No, we have this idea that, you know, rookie tight ends don't do much because they struggle. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden, because Greg Dulcich, because of a Mike Cleese report, said that, you know, he got some reps in May and June with the first team that all of a sudden he's going to take over sooner rather than later for Albert O. And one thing that people really missed in that report is Mike Cleese was like, well, in the past, the Broncos didn't do it this way. You know, they did it this other way. And it's like, did nobody miss that there's a completely new coach staff there? It's not the same coach. (laughs) Yeah. So people are reading into it. It's like, oh, they're treating Greg Dulcich differently, which for the people at home, Greg Dulcich first or first year tight end, they drafted, I believe, in the third round um this year and they're like and this mike cleese report that has everybody hot and bothered is comparing what vic fangio did to what nate hackett's doing and it's like you understand how that's different right they're they're not the same person they're completely different people so i'm not buying this report that because greg dulcich got first team reps in may and june that you know he has this sort of inside track to beat albert o for for touches it's just not going to happen it's not going to happen the one thing that I don't like about Albert O is the history of Russell Wilson not targeting tight ends, and he does have an alternative. Like we mentioned, little Timmy Patrick, 6'4", um, for goal line and um, end zone targets. So that could limit his upside, especially because a lot of the time, the difference between tight end 15 and tight end 7 is a touchdown. Um, but if you're taking a guy that you want a tight end that has no real target competition outside of a rookie, uh, tied to Russell Wilson in what will be a strong offense, then you should take Albert O. If you're worried about what could be a team's fifth passing option on any given play, 
uh, with a head coach and a quarterback who do not have a history of targeting the tight end, then you stay away from Alberto. He is a Rorschach test for what you're looking at in a tight end. I personally prefer to go get Gerald Everett in this range rather than Alberto. So I don't really have any Alberto, but if either one of you have any sort of differing opinions on this that you want to, you know, you want to give, I'm all ears for hearing what uh, either of you think about Albert Okwigbunum. Um, I like Alberto relatively well. I have him as my tight end 14. Um, I, I think in terms of like the mid blob guys, he's definitely one of my preferred options. Um, I would say he and Austin Hooper are the two guys I'm targeting in that range. Um, I, I I think Okwabunam is a good football player. He's an athletic football player. He showed a lot of ability in the limited chances he got in the previous regime's offense, which was a significantly worse product than what it's going to be this year. Um, I think he's got a chance to score quite a few touchdowns. I think he's got a chance for some big yardage plays up the seam. So I. You know, in, in terms of these guys who aren't going to be super reliable week to week, I think he's one of the best options because I think his boom weeks are going to be bigger than a lot of the other tight ends in the region. And then if you pair him with somebody like Austin Hooper, who's going to be very consistent but not really have those boom weeks, then I think that you can maybe cobble together a pretty solid tight end position out of two blob guys. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, I believe uh, Andrew Cooper is calling it the yin and yang strategy. Um, so he has better branding of it, where we've talked about taking one solid guy and one upside guy. Mm-hmm. And so pairing those two together should work pretty well. Mike, what is your uh, your take on Alberto? I think his best path to success is to catch touchdowns, something like maybe Robert Tunyon did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's everything that Walker said. Um, very fast uh, when is is you also alluded to Jeff um, the tight end you know someone that once you get the ball in his hands he's he's quick fast can run down um, but he's he's going to be what number four at times number five on the receiving chart uh, mm-hmm. and that's just you're looking at at that point you're looking at something like 25 to 30 receptions for 320 yards so yeah, you're not going to be excited about that. Um, but he is someone who's big, tall, can catch, you know, catch those touchdowns in the red zone. So if you think he's going to be a good red zone target like Robert Tanyan, mm-hmm. then he's your guy. Um, but at, at tight end 17, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good fit. Yeah. The thing that you just described, Mike, is true of like most of the tight ends in this range where it's like, you know, things could go wrong, but they could also go very right. And you won't know till they till they kick the ball off week one. And that's why they're in this range. And so that's why Walker's advocating taking an upside guy and a solid guy. So. All righty. Anything else about the Denver Broncos we want to talk about? We want to do an extensive breakdown of uh, KJ Hamler. Or Seth Williams? No. <laughs> no. I forgot. Remember that brief moment I liked Seth Williams? Yes. And then it turned out I was looking at the wrong player. Yes, Cheer- that I do cheers- remember. Cheers to me for that. So let's <laughs> talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, quarterback Patrick Mahomes, ever heard of him? Quarterback two, 33 overall, 14.3 AAV. Um, Patrick Mahomes struggled. Last year, um, he lost his number one weapon in the offseason uh, with Tyreek Hill going to Miami. Number, number two weapon. 
No, uh, number one wide receiver. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Yes, number one wide receiver going to Miami, and this is uh, after he finished as, let's see, quarterback four. So. Oh no. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> here's the thing. He's just getting the benefit of the doubt going back up to quarterback two, I feel like. And it it is, oh, he's Patrick Mahomes. But it's not like, oh, he's Patrick Mahomes or we're putting him up there next to Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott. It's like Josh Allen is extremely good and has the right to quarterback one right now. But I feel like Patrick Mahomes versus Justin Herbert is a lot closer discussion than people want to think because – Patrick Mahomes is going to be dealing with something that's going to be brand new to him. He's going to have Travis Kelsey, and then he's going to have a whole bunch of guys. Instead of just a set number two weapon, he's going to have a whole bunch of guys. And I think, and I am splitting hairs here, there might be some struggles as he tries to figure out who he can go to in what situation. Because, you know, three of his top four guys who have, you know, three of the top four wide receivers Walker, uh, not not his guys, his wide receivers are new. Juju, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, they're all new to the team. And his only returning real weapon is is Nicole Hardman. So it's like not exactly a guy that he's been able to lean on throughout his career. So personally, I'm not going to have any Patrick Mahomes because I'm not going to dive into him at this ADP, especially when you consider his ADP as ahead of uh, Justin Herbert. And if I'm going crazy and I'm taking a quarterback this high, I'll just go get Justin Herbert, who is on the ascendancy, who essentially their whole ethos is like, hey, let's just run it back from last year. They tagged Mike Williams. They upgraded from Jared Cook to Gerald Everett. They got Keenan Allen. They got Austin Eckler. They took, you know, Josh Kelly and Justin Jackson and turned them into Isaiah Spiller, who's not going to push uh, Austin Eckler. We'll talk about that in a second but he is going to be better than Kelly and Jackson. So I feel better about Justin Herbert than I do about Patrick Mahomes this year. So I probably won't have any Patrick Mahomes. So uh, what do you two think about uh, Mahomes this season? Um, I probably won't have much of him either because I don't tend to take quarterbacks this early, Um, but I do have him as my quarterback too. Um, I, I think that, he's simply too good of a player to not put high. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's going to run a little, he's going to run a solid amount. He's going to run for touchdowns. He's going to throw a bunch of touchdowns. I think that he'll have better interception luck than he had last season. Cause he was terribly unlucky with interceptions last year. Um, I, I just think that he's a good enough player to overcome the slight downgrade in weapons. Um, I, I think Juju's going to have a good season. I think that sky Moore is a good player who should take more, uh, targets as the season goes on um Miko Hardman is at least dangerous with the ball in his hands Marquez Valdez Scantling helps the offense more than he will help you for fantasy because he'll open up the field um yeah I think Travis Kelsey is going to be open a lot I think Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be open a lot in those intermediate areas because they've got people to clear out that area and those two players are great at working in that area so I think they're both going to have good seasons I think Kelsey's the tight end one I think Smith Schuster is a huge value and I think Mahomes will be a you know, he, he's my QB too. I think he'll definitely be top three still. And uh, you know, if you're the type of person who likes to get an elite quarterback, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting Mahomes, but that's just not my preference in terms of team building. 
And I want to be clear here, through all that hemming and hawing and all that stuff, he's still my three. It was just a question of why I will never have any of them. Because if I am diving into a quarterback there, I can just go get Justin Herbert, who I prefer. So, Mike, um, what are your thoughts on this uh, Mahomes QB2 ADP? Yeah, I I have him as QB3 as well. Um, so it's not like... Yeah, have, get out, Walker. Yeah, pff, you're done. Um, so it, it, it doesn't really matter. QB2, QB3, like whatever. Um, but I, I, I just... The offense is going to change um, just as all the reasons that Walker mentioned. Um, it used to be just Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and now you're going to have a whole slew of players um, involved in this offense. So their choices will be plenty for Patrick Mahomes. But overall, when you're taking away someone like Tyreek Hill, it's also going to be um, a little bit more difficult for him because he won't be able to hit Tyreek Hill on a slant, you know, 15 yards and watch Tyreek Hill take it, then, you know, the rest of the way for, for the touchdown. There's nobody there that's going to do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I see him as a QB3, but if you want him a QB2, go for it. I would not take him as a QB1, though. That That is something that oh, no. he's just not going to finish as. Josh Allen is solidified QB1, I think, for most people. So Yeah, uh, Josh Allen or even Justin Herbert I would take at QB1 over, Pat, over Patrick Mahomes. Mike, uh, coming with the, the, the pink sauce level spiciness there. Yeah, there there's no there's no pathway for, for Mahomes to be a QB1. All right, there you go. There's no pathway for Patrick Mahomes to finish as a top 12 quarterback. You heard it here first. <laughs> Let's talk about... Speaking what happens of, if it's a 32-team league? Then I'm really in trouble. Then you're busted. Uh, speaking of guys that don't have a chance to finish top 12 at their position, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Ronald Jones, RB26 and 40, respectively, uh, going at pick uh, 71 and 116, and they're going for 5.3 bucks and $1.4 in salary cap drafts. And um, uh, Walker, you're talking running back. So CEH versus Rojo, a couple guys who have disappointed us early in their careers. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with the ADP difference between the two. I, I think that Edwards Alaire is the 1A and Jones is the 1B there. Um, but I, I I think the ADP is about right, if not a little high for both of them. Um I just don't think there's going to be a running back that's consistently relevant in this offense. I think Edwards Alaire will be a flex type guy. I have him as my RB29. Um, and then I think Jones will be more of a handcuff slash, uh, you know, touchdown vulture type guy more than anything. I have him as RB45. So he's kind of in that like Gus Edwards range where he'll get some work, but he's not going to catch a lot of passes. He's going to run for some touchdowns, but he's. He's just he'll you know, his role is not going to be big enough or wide enough to lead to significant fantasy success, in my opinion. Um, Edwards Alaire will have some games where, you know, when he gets in the end zone, he'll put up good numbers. He'll have a decent floor, um, but I wouldn't want him as anything more than my flex. Like if Clyde Edwards Alaire was my RB2 after my draft, I'd be not happy with that. Yeah, and. You know, one of the ethoses of of this podcast is the pass catching second running back on the team. And that is literally the exact opposite of what Ronald Jones does. Dude is right. a terrible pass catcher. He is just a grinder. So I think that Gus Edwards comp in terms of like ranking 
is pretty apt there, um, especially, um, you know, when you consider that what the Chiefs lost in the running back room was Daryl Williams, who caught a lot of passes. That's not the type of production that's going to go Ronald Jones's way. So I feel like if there's a guy that you want to take a shot on, especially because they're both so cheap, I think it is Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, I don't think the ranking is too low, or I'm sorry, I don't think the ranking is too high, um, because I have CEH alongside that group up with like uh, like uh, Kareem Hunt, Travis Etienne. Um, I'm blanking on the rest of the guys in that group. I have Etienne much higher than Edwards-Alaire. But that's well, because I, I believe he's healthy and you don't. I do not. Be, well, I believe he can be healthy and be ineffective. That's the difference. I'm I'm not thinking that uh, Travis or ETN will miss a lot of games, but I'm thinking that he might not be the ETN that we saw in college, at least not yet. Because that Liz Frank study that I read that says that there's, you know, the first year back, there's usually a bit of a dip in productivity. So um, I'm staying off of ETN for that. Um, but I think CEH is going to get a lot more targets this year. And that's. That's if you rewind to why everybody was so GD excited about Clyde Edwards-Alaire when he came into the league. It's because, of all people, Andy Reid says, oh, he's better than Brian Westbrook. When they said, when one of his assistants said uh, he could be Brian Westbrook, he said, no, he's better. And Westbrook was one of the best pass-catching running backs the last 20 years, in addition to being a great guy running the ball. Mm. So if CEH loses Daryl Williams... Um, and <clears throat> ends up with 80-something targets, we shouldn't be too surprised. The only problem with that is there's a ton of wide receivers there now. Right. So, yeah. Mike, what are your thoughts on CEH and Rojo? Well, if I have to pick one of the two, I'm going to pick Ronald Jones because at least I know he's going to score touchdowns. Um, and I know they, they, they don't throw the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So if one is scoring touchdowns and one isn't getting the pass receptions, Ronald Jones is my guy. But what if he does get the targets? That's the thing. Well, what? Why all of a sudden he's going to get the targets? Especially because, when, you have, when you have more receivers to throw to. Because they don't have Daryl Williams, who caught a ton of balls out of the backfield last year, and they replaced him with Ronald Jones, who doesn't catch the ball? Okay. Well, they also have Jarek McKinnon, who catch the ball, too. Jarek <laughs> <laughs> McKinnon. Get out of here. Jarek McKinnon I, doesn't even have an ADP. Isaiah Pacheco. Jerrion Ely. Jerrion Ely. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, so let's talk about wide receivers. We've mentioned a few times they have a whole mess of wide receivers now. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Miko Hardman, Sky Moore going at wide receiver 30, 50, 52, and 54, respectively. So you can kind of see how they got grouped there. Um with Juju as pick 73, those other three guys going between 121 and 128. Juju at three and a half dollars, those other guys around uh, between one and 1.3 dollars in salary cap drafts. So it's Juju and then everybody else. So Mike, how would you, how would you be attacking this uh, wide receiver room? Well, if you're going to get any wide receiver from the Chiefs, uh, I agree. The top guy is Juju Smith-Schuster, and that's the guy you're going to want to get. Um, if you're going to target another wide receiver, forget about Marquis Valdez-Scantling, forget about Cole Hardman, go, yeah. after the, go after the rookie because he has the most ceiling of the other three. 
so take a dart throw on Sky Moore and then see what happens. If if it doesn't work out, he's an easy drop. But I, I Marquise Valdez Scantling is more of a pro um, wide receiver NFL style. He's gonna take the top off the defense. He's gonna clear the room underneath for players like Travis Kelsey and Juju Smith Schuster. Um, Sky Moore is probably more the intermediate guy, even though he can go deep as well. But um, yeah, it's it's Juju or Sky Moore is a dart throw. The other two you can just throw in the trash can. You can dart throw them into the trash can. Tony, fast forward five seconds. Uh, I'm very happy you like Sky Moore because my Scott Fishbowl team will be uh, benefiting from Sky Moore being good at football. Anyways, um, Walker, what are your thoughts on this wide receiver room? Um, I agree that Valdez Scaling, you can put him in the put him in the bin. Uh, I have him as wide receiver 67. Not interested. Um, Marquez Valdez Badling. Badling. Sure. Uh, Marcus Valdez scant fantasy points. Right. Now there you go. Now we're getting somewhere. Um, Hardman, I actually have a little bit of hope for. Um, I think he's rosterable. I don't think he's consistently playable, but in good matchups, he'll get the ball enough times, you know, on a couple runs here or there, a couple pop passes here or there, maybe a screen or a deep throw that he could, you know, pop off for a touchdown anytime because he's good with the ball in his hands. I have him as wide receiver 53, so it's not like I'm really high on him or anything like that. I'm pretty much right on with ADP, but I think he's a decent bet. I think Sky Moore is going to get worked in. Excuse me. I think Sky Moore is going to get worked in slowly. Um, I think by the end of the season, he'll be the number two receiver, but I don't think he will be at the start of the year. So I have more wide receiver 61. Um, and then Smith Schuster is, is the guy to get. I have him as wide receiver 16. I think he's maybe the best value in fantasy football this year. Um, We've seen him be a top five fantasy receiver before with a worse quarterback. Um, and people will say, well, he had Antonio Brown, you know, to take attention away. Well, guess what? He's got Travis Kelsey to take attention away now. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get a ton of single coverage. He's going to get used in a more intelligent way than he was being used in Pittsburgh the last couple of years. Um, and I still think he's a good football player. So Smith Schuster is a guy that I'm going to have a ton of this season. So I think that. The ADP is correct, but I'm not going to touch MVS or Miko Hardman. Sky Moore was like a 13th round pick in Scott Fishbowl, like whatever. I'm not super interested in the down roster guys from Juju Smith-Schuster just because I can see this playing out a lot like the ancillary guys in Green Bay have played out or the ancillary guys in, I'm trying to think of other locations, um, where you have this one receiver who's clearly the number one, and then you have between two and four guys behind him just kind of jockeying. It's officially an episode. I punch my mic. Jockeying for targets, jockeying for space on the field and snaps where it's like, oh, one week MVS is going to get 125 air yards. Next week, Michael Hardman's going to get, you know, like Walker mentioned, pop pass, a couple pop passes. It's going to rush for 30 yards. He's going to do all these other little things. The next week, Sky Moore is going to have this huge highlight catch and run, uh, you know, touchdown. And there's not going to be any consistency between those guys. And that's what's going to be so annoying is that, you know, week one through three, we'll say Michael Hardman because he's the guy that's been there. Oh, my God. Michael Hardman was the guy you should have drafted in Kansas City. And then for weeks four through eight, it's like, oh, MVS is coming on. 
then the next few weeks, oh, it's Sky more time. And it's just going to be this rotating cast thing behind Juju, who's going to get a ton of targets. So that's why I'm kind of iffy on everybody else there. And the ADP reflects that, where everybody thinks it's going to be Juju and then not anybody else. Now, in a salary cap draft, you can just get all three of those guys for like five bucks combined and then just whatever happens, happens. Because if I'm wrong, then you got all three of them for cheap and you got way more than five bucks of value out of them. So, all right, are we ready to talk about Travis Kelsey? Uh, he's, he's tight end one. Yes. Mike, is he your tight end one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. He should be the tight end one. Do not listen to people, cough, Frank, cough, who talk about how Travis Kelsey was a massive bust last year. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. And the reason being was that he was really good, but he wasn't as really good compared to other tight ends as he had been in the past because Mark Andrews was also really good. Therefore, his positional value shut up. If I had to pick one tight end to finish as tight end one this year, I'm picking Travis Kelsey. I'm not picking Mark Andrews. The only question is, is is he worth his ADP? 13th overall, 45 bucks by AAV, arguably a first round pick, because if you think about 13th, same guy who's picking 12th, he's just deciding to take Travis Kelsey second. So um, I would say if you don't want to mess around with other tight ends, then just get Travis Kelsey at the end of the first round. Um, but there's other value to be had there. Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if Travis, you, you're going to want Travis Kelsey in the uh, first round, but I'm not against it either. So uh, in the first round or beginning of second round is perfectly fine. Tight end one. He's been the tight end one outside of last season. He'll come back to be the tight end one. So, yeah. I say you do not draft in there because there's no other way to get Aaron Jones and Mike Evans onto your team if you're drafting <laughs> Travis Kelsey there. They're not going to come. That's important. No, but then, you know, Mike Evans isn't even a wide receiver one anymore now that Julio Jones signed there. Oh, well, yeah. absolutely. Jones is, like, going to be dominating. He's going to take every uh, target away from Mike Evans. <laughs> we've made we've made Jeff angry. I'm leaving. <laughs> Jeff, you're off the podcast. <laughs> Quote. Jeff, you're off the podcast, unquote. Jeff. (laughs) All right, I'll do it. Julio Jones is not good now. People need to stop talking themselves into him. He's washed. He's old. He can play a little bit. He can play a little bit the same way at the end of his career. Randy Moss could play a little bit when he was on the 49ers. He is not going to take away from Mike Evans. Russell Gage was always a sucker's bet. So congratulations. You got saved from yourself. You got an excuse for your stupid Russell Gage drafting, taking him in the sixth round. He's he is the wide receiver 36. Congratulations. You overdrafted a guy who's marginally above replacement level. Good job for you. And now, oh, no, Julio Jones, who the Titans said, oh, no, thank you. We'd rather have Nick Westbrook, Akine, Robert Woods with one functioning leg and Traylon Burks with one functioning lung than Julio Jones on our team. Just let him leave. And now it's like, oh, well, shoot. Now this is trouble for Mike Evans, who's better than all three of those guys I just mentioned on the Titans combined. Like, come on, pull your head out of your ass. What are we doing here? Thanks. Now I'm off the podcast. <laughs> Making me mad. At, aggravated my sciatica. 
Um, anything else to add about Travis Kelsey? The guy's uh, great. Guy's yeah, he's, re- he's really good at football. He is. That he is. Is he the best tight end in the league? Yes. Still is at 31. Yep, I agree. And I have every I have every uh, reason to be a homer and say otherwise. As I hold up my George Kittle bobblehead here that I got for free. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, giveaway to, at the 49ers game. Uh, let's talk about the LA chargers. Uh, I think we've talked a bit about Justin Herbert here, QB three overall, uh, pick 36 AAV of 15.3. I love that AAV because, um, you know, there's a huge drop off after Josh Allen, who's going for like $35 by AAV. And so you can get, you know, 95% of that production for less than half of the price. So I love Justin Herbert this year. Uh, I kind of feel like I already talked about Herbert when I was talking about um, Patrick Mahomes, but ascendant quarterback in the same offense, basically running it back with a few upgrades here and there along the offensive line too. I forgot to mention um, that. Oh my God. Zion Johnson's who they ended up with, right? Uh. Yeah, I I just remember they drafted an offensive lineman at first um, upgrade along the offensive line with Zion Johnson. Um, and just I I he runs, he throws the ball really well. Uh, those are the two things you want to have in your quarterback. Um, I, I don't see a downside to Justin Herbert here. Uh, what am I missing with Justin Herbert or are we in lockstep here? I mean, I like Justin Herbert. He's my quarterback three. Um he should be extremely productive. He's going to run. He's going to run for some touchdowns. He's going to throw it a ton. He's going to throw for a lot of touchdowns. I mean, he's pretty much a foolproof top five guy. So, yeah, I mean, again, if you're taking a quarterback early, he's as good as option as any that isn't Josh Allen. Yeah, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. As Walker was saying, I mean, to me, he could be either the QB one or the QB three. Uh, but either way, you're you're fine. You're not going to. You're not going to lose out if, when, if and when you take them. Yeah, so perfect. I, I don't think there's much to say here about Justin Herbert. It's a philosophy about if you want to take a quarterback this early, I think we're, you know, we don't have a problem with taking Patrick Mahomes, but it sounds like uh, at least me and Mike want to take Justin Herbert over Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah, I take Herbert over Mahomes. I would not, but I also probably wouldn't take either of them anyway. Would you get mad if somebody did it? No. Okay, perfect. There's not much to say about Justin Herbert. He's really good, and he doesn't look like Bobby Hill anymore. <laughs> it looks like me. Yes. I don't know what the hell that ha- that haircut was. but What would you say, Walker? He looks like me. Uh, Sure. And with his haircut. Yeah, no, I look just like Justin Herbert. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I look like Tom Brady. Uh, not Not the scary version of Tom Brady. I look like Jimmy Garoppolo. There we go. All mm. right. <laughs> mm. I wish we had in individual tracks because I would learn how to put a soundboard together just for that mm sound. <laughs> if I could isolate that. Mm. All right. Uh, Austin Eckler, RB2, pick three off the board. Um, honestly, you look at every site, the top five uh, ADP is different everywhere you look. So it's kind of pointless to nitpick that high. Uh, but 64 bucks by AAV. And then Isaiah Spiller is the designated backup here, it seems um, to be the case. He is 47 bucks, 147 overall. He's not Dalton. 47 bucks. 
he is 1.5 bucks rb 47 there we go look if somebody bids 47 dollars on isaiah spiller let him go yeah you might think, you might want to let that happen i think we're in lockstep here yeah <laughs> all right so um let's talk about the running backs uh walker yeah i think uh as are just about everyone on the chargers i think that everybody is pretty appropriately priced here um I have Eckler's RB4 and Spiller's RB48. Um, I, I think that they're, you know, Eckler is a top five option at the position. He's going to catch a ton of passes. He's in a high-powered offense. He's going to score some touchdowns. He's an efficient runner. Um, and Spiller is, you know, one of those classic high upside backups. You know, if Eckler was to miss any time, Spiller would have a huge role, and he wouldn't even really have to be all that efficient with it to put up solid fantasy production. So, yeah, I think they're going where they should. Um, $64 is maybe a little bit much in salary cap drafts for Eckler. I'm not sure that I would pay that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's I, I think that I think that the market is pretty much on point with the Chargers this year. Yeah, everybody's high on the Chargers and everybody's like, yeah, that, 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 that's fine. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, everybody's like, sure, that sounds good. Um, my only downside to Austin Eckler is he did score a ton of touchdowns last year. I think he le- tied with uh, Jonathan Taylor for the most touchdowns in the league among running backs. Um, I wouldn't be particularly worried about it. Only, you know, you can only say uh, touchdowns are fluky so many times, but when you're in an offense as strong as the Chargers offense proves to be, um, I'm not worried about fluky touchdowns, especially because I think this is just people taking their standard question about Austin Eckler, which is the touchdowns and and repeating it despite the fact that last year he had, you know, far more goal line and red zone touches than he had in any other year in his career. They've changed the way they use him. Um, Isaiah Spiller, stop it. People are trying to talk like Isaiah Spiller has independent value. Stop it. When Austin Eckler's healthy, he takes like 70% of the running back touches. There's nothing left there for Spiller. Yeah. Isaiah Spiller in games where Austin Eckler is healthy, Spiller's going to get like seven carries and one target. Yeah. He's he's a pure handcuff and not even one like not even a top. Like I would take handcuff. I would take Isaiah Spiller over Khalil Herbert, but I would not take him over Alexander Madison. Okay, that was I. I, mm, I believe in mm, Khalil Isaiah's, Herbert does not have standalone value. Stop doing this. No, I'm not saying he has standalone value, but I'm saying if if he got all the touches. Because Isaiah Spiller is just okay, and Khalil Herbert was really good when he got the touches last year. Right. I just think that the starting running back for the Chargers is a lot more fantasy valuable uh, role than the starting running back for the Bears. You make a good point, Walker. Like, I think (laughs) if Khalil Herbert gets the starting job and does well, he'll basically be like David Montgomery or slightly higher. So he'll be like RB15 on a weekly basis, whereas... If Spiller has the whole job to himself, he doesn't even have to be good, and he can probably be like RB12 because he'll yeah. just get so many touches. That's true. All right, Mike, what are your thoughts on these running backs? Yeah, I I think uh, Eckler... The, the only thing that kind of worries me about Eckler is the fact that it, even though he did it last year, he, he didn't do it previous seasons to score touchdowns. I think the offense is good enough to to see that, you know, okay, that was just sort of him becoming more of a running back and learning and growing. And so will he be as efficient as he was last year? 
that's going to be a little difficult to achieve. So RB2 status is mm, a little a little difficult for me to believe. I think he's definitely in the top five somewhere, uh, more towards like four or five, four than, you know, the end of five. But, um, and then Isaiah Spiller, who knows? Uh, there was a lot of hope for this guy. And he comes in and doesn't even get drafted until way late. So uh, it's Austin Eckler's backfield unless he's injured. Okay. Um, let's talk about the wide receivers here. Uh, Keenan Allen, wide receiver 10. Mike Williams, wide receiver 18. Um, depending on if you're in PPR or standard last season, um, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen actually flip-flopped uh, where they finished last year. In standard leagues, Mike Williams finished higher. Keenan Allen uh, finished higher in PPR leagues. So there isn't a bit of difference here baking in uh, Mike Williams kind of taking a bit of a step back. Um, but Walker, do you agree that Mike Williams is going to go for 1,010 this year? No. Damn it. All right. Mike, what are your thoughts on these wide receivers, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams? Well, I can actually see some are saying that Keenan Allen is – going to take a step back. Michael Williams is going to take a step forward, and that's possible. Uh, Allen is getting older, but in a PPR, I, I'm always going to say Keenan Allen. Um, it, I don't like wide receiver 10. I think he's more towards wide receiver 12 or 13, but he's still going to fail and as a wide receiver one somewhere on a team. And as he is getting aging and as people are prepping Mike Williams, He's falling in draft boards, so scoop him up when you can. And uh, Mike Williams, as far as 1,010, I'm going to say no as well. Yeah, I think with Mike Williams, we have this thing where uh, the underdog drafters uh, were like, oh, Herbert, Mike Williams, stack. And that pushed up Mike Williams. And, um, you know, he's really good. He deserves to be a top 15 wide receiver um you know as as walker often says uh he has a thousand and ten upside um but i've never said this you say this all the time mike i've never said this mike back me up that that walker never said a thousand and ten no that he all uh that walker always says there's okay. If there's two things on this podcast, it's Walker <laughs> hating Carol Williams. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah. Um. I completely forgot I was. Oh, but um, when push comes to shove, now in regular drafts where people actually have to decide if they're going to start Mike Williams in a given week, his ADP is slipping, and that's kind of appropriate for Mike Williams because he's really good. But he's going to fall off the face of the earth at times like he did last year. Um, you know, he's a, a high variance role. Yes. Um, at the beginning of the year last year, he was they used him not in a high variance role and he was on fire. But then they went back to that role later on in the year and it became really frustrating to have Mike Williams on your fantasy team. So as people are getting into real drafts, quote unquote, real drafts, uh, non best ball drafts where they have to decide if they're starting Mike Williams or not. They're cooling on Mike Williams. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, I'm thinking back on the discussions a couple months ago where people were talking about how Keenan Allen was going behind Mike Williams on underdog, which kind of makes sense, but yeah, that's fine. I think. Yeah. But in a regular draft, you know, we're seeing the downside to Mike Williams, which is you, you, 
because of that high variance, you don't know if you're going to get, you know, two points or 20 points in a given week. And, and people are, are, they're playing scared. They're scared to have that on their roster. And that's what's accounting for the uh, draft price change. Yep. So, all right, let's spend the next 20 minutes talking about Josh Palmer. No, no, get him out of my face. There is no other wide receiver on this team that you should even think about having on your roster. That is correct. Period. Mike, do you disagree? Which bad wide receiver do you like on this team? Jalen Guyton. Gross. Jalen Guyton will get down. Jalen Guyton has a path to success. Jalen Guyton will get on the field sometimes. He will. That will be about it. The, The thing, too, about Josh Palmer is Josh Palmer always gets on the field. They just never throw to him. Wind sprints, baby. Yep. Yeah, he's just running around out there. I want to know if there's a way. I want to know if there's a way to get granular air yards data so you can see who ran the most air yards on untargeted <laughs> plays. Ground yards. Yeah, Palmer who, probably earned that. Just Palmer out there, and both out there, just running around, not yeah, getting targets. Just, just running around, just, uh, just, just uh, distracting the defense. Um, all right, let's talk about Gerald Everett, tight end twenty, one fifty four. He's a buck. I said earlier, he's one of my favorite blob tight ends to get. Um, we really, 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 and by we, I mean we, as in football absurdity, uh, really tried to manufacture some sort of case for Gerald Everett last year on a Seahawks team that if your name's not Jimmy Graham, they're not throwing you the ball as a tight end. Um, despite all that, uh, he still had five top 12 weeks, which was the most for a tight end on that roster since Jimmy Graham. But that's not hard when the guys in that data set are like Will Disley and Jacob Hollister and um, right. Luke Wilson. <laughs> Colby like, Parkinson. Yeah, Colby. Colby. Mike loves Colby Parkinson, Walker. So tread light. Stanford kid. Hell yeah. <laughs> Mike likes every player from Stanford. Yes, right. And Mike, you love. Oh, that's true. Uh, Davis he, Mills, baby. He think he thinks baby. Tanner McKee is, could still be a Tanner book, McKee. But... Hell yeah, he's going to be the number one pick. No, he's awful. <laughs> uh, he's not going to be the Tanner McKee to a team's success. Ooh. ooh, not not bad. Yeah, I like that one. That oof is because you both were just dumbfounded with how great that was. I, I thought that was smooth. That was a ooh smooth. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> all right uh gerald everett so gerald everett is a very good tight end Uh, okay let me take that back let me take that back gerald everett is a good tight end i mean i immediately walked that back gerald everett is good okay i don't think he's good i think he's he's okay he had a good he was top two in true catch rate last year which means he was two um he's top three which means he was three in juke rate uh, he was 12th in fantasy points per target last year. He just didn't get a lot of targets. Now you go over to the Chargers, who gave dusty old Jer- Jared Cook a zillion targets uh, last year, even though he couldn't do anything with them. Uh, Gerald Everett and Jared Cook ended up with almost the same line last year, but Gerald Everett did it on 20 fewer targets and like half as many air yards. So if you just give Jared Cook, or if you just give Jared Cook opportunity to gerald everett there's you know top 12 is right there especially in a strong offense like this where he's going to score the touchdowns um so you know the the tight end has a role in this offense and i don't think that donald half-cooked ham 
is going to do a whole lot to change what they're going to do with Gerald Everett because Donald Parham is okay. He's just big and people get really excited about him because he's like eight feet tall. The thing I'm the, just the thing I'm concerned about is that Gerald Everett's been in the league for five seasons. He's never had more than 63 targets. He's never caught more than four touchdowns. So, I mean, he's he's been around a long time. He's never been a, anywhere close to a top 12 tight end. You know who else didn't do anything for several years? Uh, Gary Barnage. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't do much till his age 32 season. Jesus. No, I was I was thinking of Delaney Walker. Uh, Gary Barney that of same Amazing thing Race that, fame. Uh, oh, yeah, he was on Amazing Race. But that same thing you said about uh, Gerald Everett also applies to Delaney Walker. Okay, but yep. Delaney Walker was obviously good, and he was just stuck behind Vernon Davis. Sure. Gerald Everett's never been obviously good. He was just stuck behind noted racist Tyler Higby. <laughs> yeah, he was stuck behind a bad football player. You know what I realized? today what what do you think deshaun jackson and tyler higby talked about at camp last year (laughs) nothing nothing important they've got two noted racists yeah nothing important i would guess they probably did not cross paths very often i guess not it was just something i thought about today because i was i was updating the player profiles from last year and i got to the the uh rams uh, depth chart. And I was like, oh yeah, Deshaun Jackson was on this team last year. Anyways, Gerald Everett is good. I said it. Sorry to be controversial. Mike, what do you think about Gerald Everett? You think he's a blob tight end kind of guy? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's he is a preferred blob for me. Yeah, uh, I don't have a problem with him. I mean, Jared Cook kind of flamed out, but I Jared, think excuse me? Gerald Oh, Jared it Cook? sounded like you dropped a, a G there. Instead I did. Of Cook. I did. I said Mike, Mike's Cook. on here doing Walker. Do you want to cancel Mike for doing slurs? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was it was an innocent mistake. All right, <laughs> Thank fine. You. I just want to cancel Mike for doing slurs. <laughs> That's so much to ask. All right, oh. so yeah, he's a blob tight end. Blob. Uh, you you can be convinced of him like I am, or you can be like Walker and be unimpressed. I am ambivalent toward Gerald Everett. You can say yeah. he's all right. He's fine. All right. All right. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, start off with Derek Carr, QB 14, 99 overall, AAV of 1.7. Uh, Derek Carr will. We we have talked Derek Carr to death, I think, on this show at this point. But yeah. he. Let's just put it this way. He is a good value. Um, he does not have top eight upside really, but he will not hurt you if you wait and wait and wait and wait on your quarterback and take Derek Carr and like Kirk Cousins to kind of pair them together. Uh, we've said it a zillion times. They are the new Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Philip Rivers um, of the value quarterbacks at the end of your draft. So yeah. um, I don't think there's much to say about him here that we haven't already said. He is good, better than you think. And if you wait a long ways, he is where you should land. Yeah, I mean, I have Cousins at 13 and Carr at 14, and they'll probably both finish slightly ahead of that. Mm-hmm. It's just that on a points-per-game basis, I there's a couple other guys I think will finish a little bit higher in terms of points per game. But, um, no, these guys these guys will both be in that back-end QB1 slash, you know, really high-end QB2 type range. And, uh, yeah, I think Carr's a perfectly fine option. He'll He'll throw a fair amount. Um, he's got obviously an improvement in weapons with Devontae Adams coming in. 
So he'll probably throw a few more touchdowns this year. Um, yeah, should be a perfectly fine option. Mike, what are your thoughts on Derek Carr? You hate him, right? I can't stand him. Mike hates, um, Mike hates guys who look like they have natural mascara. <laughs> he does, too. Mike hates weird? it when your eyes pop. And you get all angry, like, you know, when you look like Eli Manning and you're just, like, crazy, um, stay away. I, I don't understand how he's a QB 14 with Devontae Adams. That doesn't make any sense to me. When he was a QB 14, 13, 12 with, without Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. So now he's even worse with Devontae Adams. Um, no. So I, I believe that that's his ceiling or, I mean, his floor. QB 9 is probably his... <laughs> His ceiling, yeah. I just like the idea of Mike being like, this is too low, he has too many weapons, also, it's his ceiling. Yes, damn right. So, uh, whoever put him at QB, four, it, it's an improvement, though. Last year, he was a QB 25 or something. Uh-huh. That was just insane. So, they're getting better. I, I applaud them. I applaud them. Good job. I, Good job. I think this is a downside to ordinal ranking. Because Derek Carr QB 14 doesn't sound great, but if you said Derek Carr is in a tier with Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, those sort of guys, you'd be like, all right, you know, good for Derek Carr. I can see that. Yeah. But with with uh, with ordinal ranking, it's like that's going to go down to wide receiver or quarterback 14, even though, you know, you can just say, oh, he's like 10 to 14. He's in that range. And that sounds a lot better. I think that's just the downside of ordinal ranking is what we're dealing with here. Yeah, and exactly, and you shouldn't be on the downside of ordinal ranking, <laughs> Danny. If Mike, if Mike's always saying one thing, it's never be on the downside of ordinal ranking. All right, so let's talk about. I got rid of all the flotsam and jetsam here um, on the Raiders roster. Uh, I only looked at guys in the top two hundred, so there's only one running back here, Josh Jacobs. Running. How back do you not put in Amir Abdullah? Like, come on, man. <laughs> Brand, well, I was going to say Brandon Bolden. Well, Brandon Bolden. Amir Abdullah better. Amir Abdullah better. Uh, Kenyon Drake better. Zamir White better. The, there's a lot of running backs here. And it's... Uh, Only one of them matters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what really what it comes down to. Is there's a lot of running backs here. Only one of them matters. And it's Josh Jacobs. Uh, redraft Jacobian. Why don't you talk about him a little bit? Uh, that's me. Uh, yeah, Jacobs, Um, I think he's RB22. And yes, ADP. Uh, that's too low. Uh, I have him at 18, and he could easily finish higher than that. Um, you know, he's a mid. They just hate the Raiders. He's a mid mid tier to mid tier to good uh, RB two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he's basically been the same thing every year of his career. There's no reason why he would regress now. Yeah, he's he's now RB 22, which was worse than last year because wasn't he an RB 20 last year? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, so he obviously over, you know, played a lot better, and he's been an RB 14, 12, 14 every season since he plays. Now all of a sudden he's what RB? Oh, come on, man! Like, come on, man! <laughs> we short circuited Mike, and he and uh, he rebooted into Joe Biden mode. He's like, come, <laughs> come on, on man. man! Come on, man! Oh man! Um, what do you both feel about the idea that Josh McDaniels is going to do Bella Chicanery with these running backs? He's not because he doesn't have the options to do it with. Yes, that is correct. Mike. Because is going to be the starter. Don't worry about it. Here, how about this? Which narrative wins out? Uh, the Raiders don't believe in Josh Jacobs, so that's why they declined his fifth-year option. Or the Raiders declined his fifth-year option, so they're going to ride him into the ground. 
that one. Yes, the former. <laughs> it's so stupid that you can look at the same or piece the of later. data and just make up two separate things about it. Yeah, it's not. It, I mean, they didn't pick up his fifth year option because they've already given him a ton of touches. And they've all yeah. They also didn't pick up his fifth year option because he's a first rounder and it's like twelve million dollars. Right. It's something ridiculous because of where he was drafted. Yeah. So they just don't want to pay a running back that much money. Yeah. Like it could easily be a situation where, you know, halfway through the year, we hear about Josh Jacobs and the Raiders working out an extension because they didn't want to give him the $12 million, but they wanted to keep him around. Sure. You know? So I don't know. I I'm believing in Josh Jacobs. Uh, the Josh Jacobs, good value. Good value. Yes. The David Montgomery type value at a little bit cheaper price. All right. Um, Mike Devaint. Who is this guy? Devont. Devant. Devant Adams. Never heard of him. Is he related to the guy in Green Bay? He might be. Or or um, or did he write that book? Or was that Douglas Adams? I don't know. (laughs) That was Douglas Adams. Wrong D Adams. All right. Um, Devontae Adams, wide receiver four, 10 overall, Hunter Renfro, wide receiver 33, 79 overall. Um, Mike, what are we thinking about these wide receivers? I definitely think Devontae Adams at number four is spot on, um, if not higher. Uh, he's going to be anywhere between one and four. Once again, just because they're going to, Derek Carr's just going to love throwing to him. It's just going to be target after target after target, uh, and it is high, high octane offense. So, Devontae Adams, I'm not going to, even though Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr, obviously Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, Derek Carr isn't. Um, that's going to hurt Devontae Adams a little bit, but the targets, the volume, everything else is probably might even be more so than what Aaron what? Rodgers. No. Oh, I think this year, this year, you're going to see it. Um, as speculative, I have nothing, no proof <laughs> on that. I can't show you the receipts, okay? But, yeah, it, it's going to be Devontae Adams' season. Hunter Renfro, um, as a wide receiver, too, is going to pick up a lot of that slack as well. Um, that anything that's not going to Devontae Adams will probably go to Hunter Renfro. You don't believe in Darren Waller? I don't. No, no. Uh, me neither. Okay, well, I think, uh, Walker, do you have anything to add about the wide receivers? Uh, I disagree that Adams is uh, top four because I have him at five. So, big difference. You're wrong, sir. Stop being a slight hater by technicality. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Same thing with Renfro. I have him as wide receiver 39. But, again, he'll probably finish higher than that because he will probably play every game and uh, end up as, like, wide receiver 30. But... In points per game, he'll probably be around the fringe, 36 fringe. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, in, in terms of in terms of Waller, I think he's kind of the guy that's going to hurt the most from mm-hmm. the addition of Adams. Um, I, I still think he, I still have him at five, but I have him in his own tier, um, separate from Pitts and Kittle, uh, or I have Kittle three and Pitts four, but. Um, yeah, I have the top two as a tier, the next two as a tier, and then Darren Waller in his own tier at five. And I I just don't think he's worth his price right now. Yeah, that's something interesting um, that I've been thinking about uh, when I've been thinking about the tight end. So we got Waller tight end four thirty eight overall is we had this idea where you had the top five tight ends were really solid. Uh, top five last year being um, Kelsey, 
Kittle, Waller. Then things got a little wobbly with Andrews and Pitts. But this year, it feels like every tight end in the top five has a reason, has a valid, valid reason to not take them except for Travis Kelsey um, at their price. So it's like with Mark Andrews, it's like, okay, what if the passing game collapses? With Kyle Pitts, it's like, okay, what if he doesn't grow on his rookie year? With George Kittle, it's like, what is it going to look like with Trey Lance? And with Darren Waller, it's like, what if there's no targets left for Darren Waller? And we've played this game before, though, between Waller and Hunter Renfro. Um, it's, you know, why I faded Darren Waller going into 2020 and looked like a silly little baby. But, um, you know, what if it's a situation where the Raiders are so top heavy in their targets that they can support Renfro Waller and um, Devonte Adams. I don't not, not in a top rank way. No, uh, someone's going to have to take a hit, whether that's Renfro going from 33, 36 to like 45, 50 or um, Devonte Adams going from a wide receiver three five to wide receiver ten. Someone's going to have to take a hit for Darren Waller to have that. The only the only path to success again for Waller is to be like Robert Tanya, catch eight to ten touchdowns. Outside of that, there's there's not enough um, volume as far as targets go. All right, so I think that does it for the AFC West. Let's go ahead. Let's move on to the NFC West. And first team up is going to be the Arizona Cardinals uh, quarterback here, Kyler Murray, quarterback five, 51 overall, $6.3 by AAV. Uh, one of the big questions with Kyler Murray this offseason was whether or not he was going to get the contract. He did. He basically threw a hissy fit, um, which is the bog standard hissy fit now, taking the team off of his social media, uh, negotiating through the media, stuff like that. But um, now that he has the big contract, there's one thing that really worries me. And Mike, we mentioned this with JJ Burden at the end of the episode is um, the dude has mandated homework. <laughs> and <laughs> JJ, JJ made a great point, which was he was worried that that would lose him the team that combined with the fact that he wouldn't go back into the playoff game and all that stuff, that it could be a situation where things just don't work because the players don't trust that Kyler Murray is going to be doing what he needs to be doing. Um, but for fantasy, I mean, Kyler Murray is top five, top six for most people. Um, I know he's top six for me cause he's behind, uh, Jalen hurts. Um, but he does have this issue and it's the cliff Kingsbury issue. And I want your, your, your folks opinion on this because, um, he was playing fine. Then he got hurt, but he collapsed in the second half last year, uh, posting 250, Passing yards, one touchdown, and half a pick per game while rushing for 46 yards, which the 46 yards is nice. But that's a trend because in 2020, he did the same thing without an injury. Well, actually, no, that's not true. He had the shoulder injury. But down the stretch in 2020, he was averaging 220 passing yards and a touchdown and 0.7 picks per game. So it's definitely a second half problem with Kyler Murray. So Knowing that this has been in his back pocket, do we still trust Kyler Murray? Do we not trust Kyler Murray? What do you two think about him? Uh, I mean, I, I think that he's a, <clears throat> I, I would say he's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback at, at this point. Um, obviously, his physical talent is about as high level as you're going to get. He's got a huge arm. He's incredibly athletic. Um, and he can read the field and throw the ball accurately. Sometimes he makes poor decisions with the ball, and because of his 
height, he can't really use the middle of the field as effectively as a taller quarterback could. Um, but I think Cliff does a decent job of negotiating around the few downsides that he has in his physical abilities. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the mental side of the game really isn't always there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and like I said, I think, I think that means he's like a fringe top 10 guy when his, his physical tools could lead him to be a top five type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think he's quite put it all together and I don't know if he will, but for fantasy, his athletic gifts give us such a huge floor because he's such an effective runner. He's very good at protecting himself when he runs. He is extremely fast and agile, tough to tackle, tough to get a good shot on. Um, and they throw a lot of easy completions. They, they get him a lot of, a lot of yards based on yards after the catch based on getting the ball out of his hands quickly. So he doesn't have the hardest job in the world to get, pretty good stats even if he doesn't play particularly well uh even if he does lose the team as you said uh mm-hmm. I, I still think i don't think he's going to lose his fantasy production because he's just in the type of role at quarterback that racks up fantasy points so i have him at qb5 okay uh mike what are your thoughts on kyler i i think what everything that walker said is pretty accurate uh the only thing that i can uh would add is his reliance on deandre hopkins Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot, a lot of that had to do with his failures of, of last season and the second half because DeAndre Hopkins was either hurt or not there. And then eventually his season was over by, I think, week 14, I think it was. Um, and it, so a lot of that is attributed to DeAndre Hopkins. Um, when DeAndre Hopkins last year left the field, that offense just fell apart. It really did. Uh, and so what are the changes that they're going to make in the off season, especially since DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss six games is the main question. Can Cliff mm-hmm. Kingsbury work around Kyler Murray to make sure that, um, that someone is, you know, it's capable of filling DeAndre Hopkins' shoes. I mean, he doesn't run complex patterns. He runs outs mostly. Um, so it can't be that difficult, but still it's, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, separation skills, um, angle cutting and all those kind of things is going to be hard to match. But if he can at least adapt to that, then he's going to be a top five quarterback almost every single week. Yeah. And to your point, Mike, I was going to bring that up too. Um, Kyler Murray loses about five points per game, uh, without, uh, DeAndre Hopkins in the four games that, uh, Nuke didn't play last year. Um, his attempts and completions went up, but his passing yards went down because they kind of over relied on Rondale Moore at that point. So I think that that was a lot of it. And, um, you know, his touchdowns got cut almost in half. Um, he rushed more, but it was one of those things where, um, his overall upside kind of got capped by not having DeAndre Hopkins around, but his floor maintained because of that rushing. Cause right. he can, he can get out of those jams, you know, where, Say, for example, a like um, a Mac Jones. Well, he's kind of mobile. Uh, a Matt Ryan or a Jimmy Garoppolo would have to check down to a, a player. Kyler Murray can just get out of those those jams when he misses it. DeAndre Hopkins. So I think it will be catastrophic to him, but he's still going to be a top 10 guy, if that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, so, and he, games, he yeah. should be um, there. He, top 10 should be his floor. Um, mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins. Um, yeah. it really should, uh, if he's, if he's dipping below top 10, then there's really big issues going on, uh, because you have a whole summer to change your, your schematics to make it fit for the players that you have. This isn't just on, on a whim where, okay, mm-hmm. 
we're in, we're in week six going into week seven and we have to fill DeAndre Hopkins, you know, so th- this is something that they're training. This is some offensive plans that they're implementing. And if, uh, if uh, Murray can't achieve top 10 status, there's a lot more problems going on than just DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. Yeah. I think if he's not top 10 um, without, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's a massive indictment of Cliff Kingsbury, who's supposed yes. to be this offensive genius, and he can't right. figure yeah. out how to make an offense function without DeAndre Hopkins. Like, exactly. Like the, I mean, they have Marquise Brown now. They have Zach Ertz yeah. now. Like, I mean, right. it's it's not like they're completely bereft of options. Yeah, right. exactly. And they were they liked Max Williams last year. He's back now too. So it's like they he's not on that same level as those guys. Not even close. But he has like. He being Kyler Murray has plenty of weapons if Cliff Kingsbury puts everybody in a position to exceed, to, to succeed. And I don't want, so I'm glad we're all in consensus there because I know some somebody is going to put Kyler Murray struggling without DeAndre Hopkins at Kyler Murray's feet. And I don't think that that's the case. I think that if he struggles without Nuke, I think that that is a Cliff Kingsbury indictment because like Mike said, we all knew this was coming. It wasn't like... um. Uh, you know, like uh, Zeke Elliott got suspended in the middle of the year a few years ago. It wasn't right. like all of a sudden we have to switch gears. It's like we've had all off season to prepare for this. So um, I agree. Uh, we're all in agreement there that he will lose a little bit without DeAndre Hopkins. His floor should still remain high. And if it doesn't, that's Cliff Kingsbury's fault. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, move on to the running backs. Um, so I will drop the, um, the bit for a second. Uh, James Conner, a guy that I really liked last year, running back 15, Daryl Williams, a guy that Walker really liked last year. Now combined together, uh, pick 30, pick 177 overall, 23.6 for James Conner by AAV. Daryl Williams is a buck. Uh, so Walker, why don't you talk about these running backs? Yeah, I have Conner at RB 17. Um, I'm just not sure at this point in his career that he can hold up to a full starters touch load all season. Um, but he should be quite effective when he does. Um, I would expect him to play at least two thirds of the season and uh, yeah, he, he's good at catching the ball out of the backfield. He's still got some explosiveness when he hits the hole. Um, he, he's, he's a good player and they, again, this system, they run a lot of plays. They do a lot of short stuff with the running backs. So what you saw from him last year, you know, the touchdown production will probably come down a little bit. But, um, you know, w- when Chase Edmonds was hurt, that James Conner is what you're going to see this season. And, uh, you know, if he were to play 17 games, he'd be probably a top 10 guy. But I just don't foresee that as being realistic at this point in his career. Um, on Daryl Williams, I I have him RB44. I think he's certainly higher than than what his uh, ADP is right now. And with his AAV at a dollar, you can basically just nominate this guy at the end of your draft and get him. Um, it's he, he's going to be in a position where I don't know if I don't think he's going to have like the Chase Edmonds role. I think it's going to be Connor is the starter with like 62 percent of snaps and then Williams gets the other 38 percent or something like that. So Williams is going to have a tough time being a consistent like flex guy for your fantasy team. But in good matchups against bad defenses, you can throw him in there. And in the event that Connor goes down, which is likely at some point during the season, uh, Williams would take most of the role. And at that point, he would be a, a, an easily an RB2 in those games. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I said I was dropping the bit, but I guess I do like Daryl Williams more this year than you do because I have him at 33. That's too high for me. Yeah. See, I have so where I have him is I have him at sort of the back end of the guys that we are going to have in like as valuable in a part-time role. Like he's between Ramondre Stevenson and Raheem Mostert for me. Well, I don't have Raheem Mostert in my top 50. Okay, so that I mean even there, but behind him is like uh, I have him as the top of the tier with like Chase uh, with like Chase Edmonds, Naheem Hines, uh, Michael Carter, Daryl Henderson. So. I have Chase Edmonds top 24. Okay. So I just, I, I, so, okay. So that's where the difference lies, I think. And um, I just see Chase Edmonds, not a great fit for what the Shanahan offense has traditionally done. But you you said yourself that you think McDaniel's going to do different stuff. Are you going to, are you going to not interrupt me? (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. So what we're, so banking on a Chase Edmonds is banking on things looking different and we don't know how, how it will look. And that was going to be that was going to be my point, um, because based off the data that we have, um, it's not going to work great. But the data we have is incomplete. So I don't know. I'm just not a big uh, Chase Edmonds upside in Miami person because there's so many targets there, so many mouths to feed. And if they're going to pound the rock, they're going to do it with Sony or Raheem Mostert or both. So that that's that's my only my only question mark there. But um, back to Daryl Williams. Um, yeah, I, I've been saying it all offseason. What if he's just Chase Edmonds to, to talk about Chase Edmonds? What if they use him exactly the same way that they used Edmonds last year? And I mean, Daryl Williams was a top 24 back in PPR last year because he filled in for CEH. So he's shown that he's capable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a matter of opportunity for him. And if Cliff Kingsbury says, all right, you know, sort of like he did with Kenyon Drake and James Conner, where he's like, all right, Drake, you're going to be the goal line guy. This is what you're going to do. And then the next year he said, all right, Conner, you're going to be the goal line guy. This is what you're going to do. He could do the same thing with Edmonds and Daryl Williams. And in that case, I think Williams is a huge value. And especially if we talked about, you know, Walker, you put it perfectly that like staying healthy is not within the range of outcomes for, for James Conner at this point. Like he's not going to play a full 17 game season. It's just not a thing that he does. So you know, Daryl Williams could be the top quote unquote handcuff in terms of thinking about how, the likelihood of the guy ahead of him getting hurt and him having standalone value. Um, you know, t- Tony Pollard has more standalone value, but Zeke's not as likely to get hurt as James Conner. So um, I think James Conner is also a guy that we everybody just kind of just talks past. Nobody like looks directly at him. He's like a a um, a fantasy eclipse. Like everybody's just like, yeah. Um, we're not really sure what to make of what he did last year because he mostly stayed healthy and he never does that. And he looked like he did before. And so we're not really sure what to make of that either. And so everybody's just kind of looking past it. So, Mike, what do you think about uh, uh, James Conner this year? Well, I think they're setting him up to be the um, full-time back here. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I like Daryl Williams, but I think they – they pretty much brought him over just in case another James Conner injury and you use Daryl Williams uh, in case of that. But how James Conner is going to perform is also kind of interesting as well, because we've seen James Conner be uh, a top five back. And we've also seen James Conner be a top 45 back. Uh, so what what James Conner are we going to see? Are we going to see the same one we saw last year? 
then it's he's going to be great. You know, if if we don't, then Daryl Williams could have some very intrinsic value. So I think RB 57 is kind of low for me. I would probably say he's he's a handcuff, which would make him in the top 40s, you know, 40 to 45. Uh, and then James Conner is about right at RB 15 uh, just because I, I just can't trust him to stay healthy. And if he misses one or two games, he's automatically pretty much an RB 15 if he everything goes right. So, uh, okay. Yeah, that's just how I see it. All right, so we've already mentioned one wide receiver. Actually, we've mentioned two wide receivers here with Marquise Brown, DeAndre Hopkins. There's also Rondale Moore there. Uh, Marquise Brown, wide receiver 21. DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver 32. Rondale Moore, wide receiver 69. Uh, Nice. Nice. I was waiting for that. (laughs) 69! Uh, Hollywood, 3.5. Hollywood, (laughs) 3.4 bucks. DeAndre Hopkins, 3.9 bucks. As the classic song goes, I can't drive. 69 um mike <laughs> i can miss- indeed <laughs> uh sorry jj burden you're on this episode um mike let's talk about the wide receivers here with the idea that uh deandre hopkins is going to mix miss six games so let's start there uh where would you draft deandre hopkins knowing that he was he's going to miss six games i've been i'm even if he didn't miss six games, I'm sort of low on DeAndre Hopkins. I, I, I've seen him in the last few seasons just inch by inch, just sort of taking that those little feet to the cliff. And it, it seems like he's he's going, the arrow is going down and not up for this guy. Uh, so even if he wasn't suspended for six games, I'm still, I would still be low on him. Wide receiver 32 seems okay for the six games. I, he, I, to me, wide receiver 40 is probably where I would put him. Um, yeah, I, where would I draft him? Um, I guess in that sort of wide receiver 40 range, which is what round 10. Round yeah, I was gonna say round somewhere nine. around. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say somewhere around pick 100. Um, so yeah, that's how I see. Hopkins, uh, Marquise Brown, wide receiver 21. If only they target Marquise Brown without DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he, I don't like Marquise Brown. Um, I, he's he's done okay with Lamar Jackson. I think last year he was what the wide receiver 15, Something 16. Like that, yeah. Um, so wide receiver 21. Mm, I I like more wide receiver 28 to 30. And then Rondell Moore, I think, is way too low at wide receiver 69 because I think Rondell Moore is going to be the one that they're going to want to target here in this offense. Uh, and if that's the case, and he goes from like a wide receiver 69 to a wide receiver 33. See, that's that's my my only problem with Rondell Moore is like you were trying to hype him. You're like, I like him, and he is a back-end wide receiver. Receiver four, right? yeah. 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 <laughs> so His it's upside's like, not great. Yeah. Right. A lot of people just look at the athleticism. Rondell Moore is a perfect case of people looking at whatever stats they want to look at to make their point, because everybody, everybody wants to talk about, you know, um, speed score and these scores that that – way weight in them right up until it screws up the what they want to say because the guy's tiny you know and so all of a sudden it's his other athletic metrics and it doesn't matter we haven't seen a receiver 
his size, which we're still not sure what his size is. It keeps changing. It might be 5'7". It might be 5'9". If it's 5'7", we haven't seen a receiver like him be successful for fantasy football yet. And his upside, Mikey, the way that you said it is perfect. You're like, I like him. I think he's athletic. I think he'll get a bunch of targets and he'll be 33. Like there's not a whole lot of upside there because his A dot's like 50 inches. Like, yeah, it is. It's, it's zero point. I think it's like 0. 0.2. Yeah, um, it's, his A dot's ridiculous. It's like, so I, I don't know. And uh, Mike, I agree with you with DeAndre Hopkins and I'm glad you said it because if you look at his volume, it went down significantly last year. And that was the big reason why DeAndre Hopkins was always a top 10 guy. Not only was he talented, but he's getting like 10 targets a game. If he's talented, the draft rounds, that drop, blah, 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 blah. I had my uh, Joe Biden moment there. If the, <laughs> I have one word for DeAndre Hopkins, and it's how. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Oh, DeAndre Hopkins, if his if his if his volume goes down but his talent level stays the same, then you're looking at a guy that's a back end wide receiver two instead of this, you know, slam dunk wide receiver one that we've gotten used to him being. In which case, I don't know if it's worth waiting around six weeks for that, unless you're in a position where you don't particularly like the other players around him and you just want to have that in your back pocket. So, uh, Walker, what are your thoughts on on uh, DeAndre Hopkins? And then you can touch on Marquise Brown since I sidestepped that entirely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Hopkins, I have very low. I have him as my wide receiver 53. <laughs> um, I just don't really have any interest in drafting a guy who's going to miss six games. And then we don't know if he's even going to be the number one receiver on the team when he comes back. You know, Marquise Brown could get more targets than him. Uh, Zach Ertz could get as many targets as him. So I I just can't trust him. Um, and on Rondell Moore, I have him at 64. I, I don't I don't really care. I, I I just let me see him do something other than catch 10 balls for 50 yards one time before I get excited about him for fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, Marquise Brown, I have at 22. So I think his ranking is pretty appropriate. Um, at least for six games, he'll be the pretty clear number one receiver. I think um, he's been a target hog in Baltimore. I don't think he'll get quite that same target share in Arizona because they have more options. They can be a little bit more of a diversified offense. Um, I just, I, I think that he'll be put in opportunities to get short targets where he can make something happen with the ball and he'll get some deep targets as well. He won't really work in that intermediate area of the field, but um that's, you know, as a teaser, that's why I like Zach Ertz this season. Um, but, yeah, Brown Brown should be relatively productive. I don't know how efficient he'll be, but he should be productive. Um, then when Hopkins comes back, my guess is he's kind of in a 1, 1A, 1B, and it goes back and forth just depending on what, who the defense keys on. So mm-hmm. for the first six weeks, I would guess he's probably, like, in the wide receiver 15 range. And then for the last 11 weeks, He's probably more in the wide receiver 25 range. But still in a three wide receiver league, not a guy you want to get out of your lineup. No, I, I think he's an he's an every week starter pretty much most of the season. Um, just one of the lower end ones of those. OK, so Walker teased it. Let's talk about Zach Ertz. Tight end 10, 93 overall, $2.2. I love 
Zach Ertz this year. Um, it was we talked about Ertz a lot last off season, and honestly, we're the only podcast or, or thing that I saw talking about Zach Ertz because everybody was just kind of putting him out to pasture unless he got into a really good scenario. And he ended up in a really good scenario. Um, he averaged five catches for 50 yards with the uh, with the Cardinals last year in the games without DeAndre Hopkins. That was six and 60. So you can expect him to get off to a great start and sustain that start. And he might actually um, help the Cardinals get out from that second half swoon that they've had each of the last few years with Cliff Kingsbury. And, you know, he's tight end nine. Like, he's... Yeah, well, he's tight end 10. Oh, tight end 10. Sorry, he's tight end 10. So, even better. Um, I was looking at my notes where he was tight end nine when I wrote them. So, he went down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have... He went down in the last few weeks. Yeah, like, I have him as tight end nine. Um, but I have him in the same tier as Dalton Schultz, Dallas Goddard, and TJ Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. So... And I think there's a huge tier break after Ertz. I, I mean, my number 10 is Mike Gesicki, and I think that Gesicki is quite a bit behind Ertz in terms of likely production this season. I mean, you said it, his ceiling is like 85 catches for 900 yards and six touchdowns or something like that. I mean, and his, if he does that, he could be tight end four, tight end five. Yeah, I was going to say his ceiling is legit. Is like people talk about ceiling, but his legitimate ceiling that he has a distinct possibility to reach. Yes. Top five tight end. Right. He can be tight end five. I mean, and his floor is like fringe tight end one. So Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not taking a big risk here. Like he's going to get enough targets to be productive most of the time. So, you know, even, even at his floor, he's probably tight end 11, tight end 12. Um, I, I just, I, I think he's a very safe option that you can get after most of the like elite level tight ends. Uh, that you can just kind of set and forget and you don't have to worry about streaming a tight end. You'll get enough production out of it to to stay afloat. Yeah, and uh, the targets and yards are great for Ertz because too many people chase tight end fantasy points. And I know the goal is to get fantasy points, but that's not how you do it with tight end because um, Caden Smith, we all remember Caden Smith, Yes. I remember Caden Smith, yes. He had more double-digit fantasy weeks his rookie year than Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson because he scored touchdowns. But he was so touchdown or bust right. that it was like it, it wasn't worth chasing. And so many people chase fantasy points and they chase touchdowns. That's not what you want to chase, especially with tight end. You want to chase targets and yards because mm-hmm. targets and yards will stay sticky from week to week. And unless you're Robert Tunyon, you're not scoring a touchdown every week. So if you're chasing the touchdowns, you're going to get hurt. And that's why people say they hate tight end, because they have the wrong thought process on it. They're like, yeah. oh, this guy scored a tight end. They'll throw him the ball again in the end zone. It's like, no, he, you know, he. You could have learned this from C.D. Uzoma last year. Yeah. He's you know, the perfect C- guy. Yeah. And, and but it's like, you know, people think, oh, you know, he scored a touchdown. They're going to try to focus on him. It's like, no, man, he was in line. And the defender he was supposed to that he thought was going to guard him actually blitzed and he was standing wide open in the end zone, you know, from three yards out. It's like that's not something that you chase. And with Zach Ertz, that's exactly what you chase yardage and touchdown or yardage, (laughs) yardage and targets. Yeah. I mean, he like you said, his floor on a per game basis is probably somewhere in the like seven points range in PPR, which is so much higher than anybody you're going to get after him. I mean. 
the, the next highest floor after Ertz is maybe Cole Komet. And I would say his floor is like five points a week. So yeah, I, I, I'm really a big fan of Ertz this season for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned the name Mike Gesicki. If you liked Mike Gesicki for the reasons we liked Mike Gesicki in the past, you will like Zach Ertz. Cause it's the same deal. It's just going to get a ton of targets. And is a talented player. So Mike uh, Walker and I bogarted that conversation. So how do you feel about Zach Ertz? Mike's going to be like, I hate him. He's terrible. Never draft him. <laughs> well, so I'm glad you guys Uh-oh. bogarted. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and, but this is, this is a good thing because you guys touched on this. But all right. So while you guys were talking, I, I, I did a little statistical dive with Zach Ertz. So the first seven games... Zach Ertz, of course, played with the Eagles in shared time. Um, he scored 57 points. Mm-hmm. Then he was traded to the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the next seven weeks with the Cardinals. And he scored 57 points. Um, then I looked at what did he do when DeAndre Hopkins went out in week 14, I believe. Or... Uh, yeah, week 15 was the first game that DeAndre Hopkins missed. So I, look, I looked at his stats uh, starting in week 15, and guess how many points he scored? 57. In those, three, in those three games, 57 points. In the four games, close, 53 points. So 57 through seven weeks with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. The next seven weeks with the Cardinals, 57 points. The last four weeks with DeAndre, without DeAndre Hopkins, 53 points. I mean, that's entirely fair. I mean, he did he did turn it on without DeAndre Hopkins, but we also know he's going to get six games without DeAndre Hopkins. Then that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. like, right. So, like, I mean, if he if, and if he were to follow what Mike was saying, I mean, if scoring eight points a game when Hopkins is, is in and scoring uh, 13 points a game when he isn't, then he's going to end up with 78 and then 88, 166 fantasy points, which is probably tight at nine or 10. So yeah, his, his floor is very high compared to the guys he's being drafted around. You know, he's being drafted around Dawson Knox and Pat Fryermuth and Cole Komet. And his floor is higher than these guys. And his ceiling is the same. Yeah. Is that what you were saying, Mike? Exactly. So it it would, without those point totals of last year, he would be the tight end seven overall. Um, Wow. Yep. Go. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not it's not terribly difficult to get to that point and hit hit tight end. That's no. true. That's true. All right, let's move on to uh, the world champion L.A. Rams. Uh, Matthew Stafford, quarterback, QB eleven, eighty two overall, uh, two point nine AAV. We kind of talked about this when we were talking about with uh, Derek Carr, um, where he's part of this tier of of quarterback. This kind of like um, you know, some people include Joe Burrow in that tier. Some people include Dak Prescott in that tier. But it, it, it's Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, uh, Kirk Cousins as the lower end of the tier. That's like the bottom part of the tier. But, you know, at his price, it's like Matthew Stafford has like top six upside and top mm-hmm. 13 floor. So yeah. it's like. Pretty much. Sure. He's he you can just take him and be happy with him. We were talking about how the new Rivers and uh Roethlisberger were 
Carr and uh, Cousins, if you want the allegory for Matthew Stafford, it's Matt Ryan around like when Kyle Shanahan was there, where it's like, yeah, he's going like quarterback 11 and he'll be somewhere around there at the end of the season. You won't be mad. Yeah, I mean, Stafford, that tier for me is Prescott, Stafford, Burrow, Wilson, Lance, Cousins, Carr, Rogers. Yeah. So um, and I have Stafford near the top of that tier at QB nine. I think that as we saw last year, he has uh, top five potential because he was QB five last year, I believe. Um, and yeah, his, his floor is high because you know he's got great weapons. You know he's going to throw a lot. You know that he's not going to miss games because he never does. Um, his floor is maybe eleven or twelve at the at the absolute lowest. So yeah, I mean, I, I think he's being drafted around his floor, and I think he's a good option. Mike, what are your thoughts on Stafford? I I don't know why he's a QB 11. I mean, I could see him not having as great a year as he did, you know, in last year. But he's going from a QB 5 to a QB 11. Um, He would have to drop off, uh, what, almost 100 points for that to happen. Uh, I don't think it's that many, but. Let's see, 412. And then QB 11 is 357. So what are we saying? 55. 55 points. So, yeah, yeah not not nearly three, that, three point, that amount. Three points a game. And I don't think you can expect that. I think you can expect maybe half of that. Right. So I, I could see QB 8, um, mm-hmm. maybe, if he falls a little bit. But then he also has Allen Robinson coming in. And if Allen Robinson isn't washed, he's a lot better than Robert Woods. So, um, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But, uh yeah, so I have him as QB eight or nine. I don't eleven is just far too low for me. Mike, you bring up a good point there, and it was one I was going to talk about with Cooper Cup, which is, um, is this offense going to be as potent as it was last year? Because they do lose Robert Woods slash um, Odell, Odell Beckham, who never played a game together. But if Allen Robinson is Allen Robinson, and he just gave up on the Bears last year, which honestly, who could blame him? Like the offense could take another step forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, conceivably you could see another QB five or even QB four season from Stafford. You could see another record breaking season from cup. You could see a top 24 season from Robinson if everything goes right. Yeah. But you could also see it where everything goes wrong because the running game can't get going. Cause they try to give cam Akers 20 touches per game and he doesn't have it anymore after the Achilles tear. Um, you know, uh, Stafford to cup was which was astronomically good last year just takes a slight step back and Allen Robinson isn't what he was uh, uh, before. Yeah. right and then Stafford's QB nine or ten and cups wide receiver two yeah yeah so you know so I think that um Derek Carr or Derek Carr Matthew Stafford is a great uh way to get a cheap quarterback who you don't have to worry about on a weekly basis except yeah. in my home league which has a bunch of Lions fans in it. <laughs> and therefore he will go too early. Oh yeah. He's going to go way early. Yeah. He's going to be picked as like early. QB. He's going to get picked as like QB six before Tom Brady. Yeah, that's wild. That. That's wild. All right. Let's talk about these running backs. We got Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers running back 18, 41 overall, Daryl Henderson running back 43, 124 overall. Um, Kyron Williams was drafted, but he's got broken foot. I'm not even going to worry about Kyron Williams right now. Um, no. He's a pass catching back in an offense that traditionally hasn't had a pass catching role for their running backs. So I'm not 
sure what they're going to do with him. So I don't think it's worth even talking about. So Walker, let's yeah. talk about these running backs. Yeah, uh, not great. Um, I am so low on Cam Akers. Um, I, what do you say he was? RB18? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's insane. That He's going right by James Conner, which doesn't make any sense because he's not as good. He doesn't have anywhere near the same role. He's just as likely to get hurt it, it's or, or not be effective due to previous injury. No, I have him at RB32. I, mean, I don't see any way that he takes control of this backfield with his like raw ability and just kind of runs with it. I, I think it's going to be a you know 55-45 type committee most of the season. Daryl Henderson is arguably not even a worse player than Cam Akers. Yeah. So it's I, I think they're much closer. I don't think either of them is particularly relevant for fantasy, though. I mean, I, I if you want to take Henderson to fill out your bench, I think that's fine. Um, if in the event that they shut down Acres again, then Henderson will probably be an RB2 on a weekly basis. He was kind of in that David Montgomery type territory last year mm-hmm. when he was the only guy in town. Um but I, I have yeah, I have Akers at RB32. I think he's going to have that kind of Edward Jalair type season where he you know, has an opportunity but never really takes control of it. And he just kind of ends up ceding touches to other players. And then Henderson I have at 41 because at the start of the season, he's not going to be relevant. I need to argue with you about your Daryl Henderson ranking because I also have him at 41. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I have Cam Akers. I have Daryl Henderson at 41, Cam Akers at 37. Um, just because Cam Akers is going to get the chance to do stuff, um, mm-hmm. they're going to give him a lot of opportunity. So I think that'll lead to more touchdowns. But I also think it's going to be an annoying split most of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, last year, Daryl Henderson without Cam Akers, he, uh, Walker, you mentioned, do you think that he had top 24 upside? I mean, that's what he was last year without without Cam Akers. He was weekly a top 24 guy. Mm-hmm. And um, we forget that in Cam Akers' rookie year, Daryl Henderson didn't lose the job, really. Um, he got hurt, and then Cam Akers took, took advantage of that. And so what we have is a running back who has traditionally held off Cam Akers, who is good enough. The talent difference between Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers isn't as big as people want to say it is. I don't and, think there is a talent gap. Exactly. There's not a big talent gap. I, I think there's a little talent gap, but not as big as people want to say. You know, people want to act like Cam Akers is like this transcendent talent. And people forget that he was like tiered with Zach Moss coming into the draft, coming into the draft. So it's yeah, like he's he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Like people completely want to ignore that he was tiered with guys like, with literally Zach Moss. So it's like, yeah, it was Moss and Gibson were his tier. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, what what? I, I don't understand this benefit of the doubt people are giving Cam Akers. Yeah, me neither. But what are you going to do? Uh, just yeah. not draft him and draft somebody else and get a better player. <laughs> I guess. There you go. If you want to be, if you want to be a coward about it, Mike, what do you feel about Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson? I, I think their price right now at eighteen and forty-three is probably correct. Uh, I, I think the Rams do have faith in these two because if they didn't, they wouldn't have just released Sony Michelle. Uh, so, because if you look at that depth chart, as you mentioned, um, Kyron Williams is only pretty much a third down back. And then they have Jake Funk. So, um, unless, unless you're down with the funk, then um, you're not. You want really, the funk. Got to have that funk. Got to have that funk. Um, then they really have a lot of faith in these two players, not only to be healthy, but to perform. 
and Akers is the leading running back in this backfield. So running back 18 seems about correct because neither of these guys catch passes. If if one of these guys could catch passes, then it might be a whole different story. But mm-hmm. still, well, without that, then they're not much more than, a, as you guys mentioned, um, a Montgomery kind of player. All right. So you so you see the Akers Henderson a lot like Dobbins Edwards in Baltimore. Yeah. Some okay. that, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great, great example where both running backs are active playing, but neither of them are catching passes. OK. Yeah. And there, there's one thing that I that I forgot to mention that I um, I wrote about it last year before Cam Akers. I, I love that Cam Akers just missed the year because I just get to recycle all the things about him that I talked about last year. Um, so going into his sophomore year, you know, people had questions about Clyde Edwards Alaire about his goal line, you know, one for nine on the goal line and Cam Akers was one for eight. People had questions about JK Dobbins not catching any passes. Well, the Rams have been bottom three in running back targets since Todd Gurley left. And they talk about, um, the worries that they had last year about DeAndre Swift was him sharing time. And it's like, well, Daryl Henderson is here. So it's like, he has all the question marks we had about the running backs going into last year. DeAndre Swift answered his question with a yes, it's fine. Uh, CEH answered his question with a no, it's not fine. J.K. Dobbins (laughs) got an incomplete, and Cam Akers got an incomplete. And we're just acting like Cam Akers' incomplete was a sign that we shouldn't have worried to begin with. And it just doesn't make much sense. It's just because people don't want to worry, so they're just forcing themselves not to, even though it's worrying. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's they want they see Todd Gurley, whether yeah, they and the I, Cam Akers, whether they should I, or not. Yeah, no. And I mean, I I see Akers. I don't think he has top 12 upside uh, at all. I, I think he has, you know, like Mike said, I think he has RB2 upside. But mm-hmm. I I think that's, you know, that's his ceiling. And so I'm just not going to take him at that ceiling. OK. Uh, a game that we haven't been playing is uh, this player, or that player, and I feel like Cam Akers is a good a good spot. To, oh God, to, I'm going to say so. everybody who's not Akers. <laughs> Cam, uh, no, I'm going to ask you each different question. So Walker, Cam Akers or Rashad Penny? Penny. All right, Mike, Cam Akers or Ezekiel Elliott? Uh, Elliott. All right, Walker, Cam Akers or Cordell Patterson? Patterson. Woo, Mike, Cam Akers or James Conner? Connor. All right. Uh, Walker, Cam Akers or James Cook? Cam Akers. Not even close. I was okay. going to say, if you say Cook, I, man, I don't know. I have to find There's a player. There's some bitter hate Akers. for Akers here. All right. Mike, Cam Akers or uh, J.K. Dobbins, who we were just talking about? Dobbins. All right. And I have to give the reminder I always give every time I look at ADP whenever I see it. Stop doing this to poor Brees Hall. He's RB23. This is ridiculous. He's Stop yeah. falling. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, all day. Stop give, doing give it, this. Give him to me. Yeah. I, I don't what, mind him at, at that spot, though, really. I mean, that's a great spot. But what I'm saying is I think that's an accurate spot. For, um, for Brees Hall or for Brees Hall? I, yeah. I think Hall will be better than that. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, when you say better, where do you say as far uh, as better where? Top 15? I have him at 16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that um, he's there to replace Michael Carter and all the worries about his um, his all the worries that drive his ranking have a lot to do with people getting really excited about Michael Carter last year and then not wanting to give that up. Yeah, I agree. 
And so, you know, he's there to replace Michael Carter. He's a second round pick. Michael Carter was a fourth round pick that split time in college. He's not going to challenge Brees Hall for for reps. You know, he's going to get 30 percent, but everybody has 30 percent, a 30 percent back they have to deal with. I see it more with Michael Carter as being um, a lot, a lot active in the receiving game. Um, well, Brees so Hall could do that too. That's the thing. He, he can, he can, but I don't see it this year. I really see Michael Carter taking a, a good um, share away from him in that department. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you make a good point. Michael Carter only being an RB4, so you're not losing a lot of draft capital if you just like, dude, you suck, stay on the bench. Yeah. Um but I, I do have Michael Carter catching a lot of passes this year. So. Dude, you suck. Stay on the bench. <laughs> Robert Sala pulls him into his office. Dude, you suck. <laughs> yeah, you ain't playing, my guy. Sorry. Um, but Mike stepped right into my trap. Uh, uh-huh. Zach Wilson did not throw the ball to running backs last year. It was Mike White who did all the passing. Uh, Zach Wilson had like, I think it was. White Mike. <laughs> huh? White Mike. <laughs> White Mike. Uh uh, I think it was like 13 or 14 percent of his pass attempts went to running backs where Zach Wilson, which would have been third or fourth lowest in the league if he'd played all year. So he didn't actually pass the ball to running backs that much. So even if uh, uh, Michael Carter, I kept, I kept wanting to say white Mike, <laughs> even <laughs> if Michael Carter takes that passing downs role, that, there might not be that many passes to him that uh, um, Brees Hall is missing out on. So Mike said right. Right I think Brees account. Hall will basically be a slightly more, slightly more active J.K. Dobbins. There you go. It's like he'll he'll catch a few more passes than Dobbins. He will run a little bit more than Dobbins, and he'll outscore Dobbins by a little bit. And that's why I have Hall one tier above him. Now uh, let me see who that might be. Who if, that if, might? If that's definitely the case, then I would have where you guys have um where you have him Brees Hall at like fourteen or fifteen. Um, I have him at sixteen. So. Yeah. Do you know who gets a few more targets, a few more carries, and is a better, a slightly better running back than J.K. Dobbins? Nick Chubb? Jonathan Taylor. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> just a little no. bit better. Not no, it's a lot. No, Walker's right. Nick Chubb is a good uh, good Chubb. upside there. All right, anyways, uh, let's move on from Brees Hall and talk about the rest of the L.A. Rams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Including Brees Hall. <laughs> How would that Cup- happen? Uh, I wonder why our episodes are three hours long sometimes. Cooper Cup, mm-hmm. uh, wide receiver one. Allen Robinson, wide receiver 27. Van Jefferson, wide receiver 61. Uh, Cooper Cup, let me ask this. Is there any case for taking a receiver other than Cooper Cup, wide receiver one? Uh, yeah, you could you, you could convince me that Justin Jefferson could be picked there and I'd be fine with it. That's the only guy, though. All right, Mike, this is your position to present. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with Walker. Um, I have actually I have Jefferson at one cup at two. And I don't even believe Cup's going to finish the two, to be honest. I, I And again, no receipts. Only gut feeling here. Um, Give me the receipts, Mike. <laughs> I don't have them. Um, and so but he's not going to fall far from that area. Uh, and the reason being the other case is the fact that how difficult it is to repeat um, as a wide receiver or running back one. I, I really want to go back and see how often that happens. I should do that. But um, yeah, I just, it's just too many, too many anomalies for him to be a wide receiver one. So whatever, it doesn't matter. Wide receiver one, wide receiver three, he's going to have a great season. Uh, as far as Allen Robinson goes, 
he could be wide receiver 27. He could be a wide receiver 65. He could be a wide receiver 14. Um, we'll just see. I, I have no idea where he's going to want. So if you just add those three numbers together, hit the median, and that's what he's going to be. Uh, Van Jefferson, I I like it a little bit. I, I think he's definitely worth draftable. If if you look at when what he was doing um, without Odell Beckham there, he was getting some active play. Could be a good um, bi-week injury replacement kind of guy. He's going to be your wide receiver. I think 61 is a little too low. I, I think he's a wide receiver 50-something um, because I do believe he's draftable. So uh, Van Jefferson, again, you know, is a dart throw. But I think if Odell Beckham doesn't sign by the preseason or before the regular season, Van Jefferson does have a little oomph to him. All right. Um I agree with your assessment on Allen Robinson. He could finish anywhere. And we kind of talked about that in the Matthew Stafford thing, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But for three bucks in a salary cap draft, I'll see where Allen Robinson yeah, I'll finishes. Take I'll yeah. take that bet. Yeah, I, I like that better than in than in regular drafts. I mean, because wide receiver 27, did you say, is his ADP? Yeah. Um, I think that's too high, uh, you know, slightly. But yeah, three dollars in a salary cap draft is perfectly fine. Yeah. So let me see if there's the. Uh, let me see. They updated the ADP today. So let me see what it is today for Allen Robinson. Still 27. So uh, we're still in the same ballpark there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 you know it's Allen Robinson is he's he's holding off Gabe Davis. Um, he's holding off Darnell Mooney. He's holding off Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, so he's, he's at the head of that tier of guys who were like, Ooh, these guys could be really good or who knows. Um, actually now that I'm looking at this, there's, here's pick 61 through 69. Okay. So this is a group. This is a firm tier. Cooper, Judy, St. Brown, Godwin, A-Rob, Gabe Davis, Darnell Mooney. Those are all going within three, four, five, six, seven picks of each other. Everybody's high on uh Mooney. Um, I mean not high on Mooney, um Gabriel Davis. On, on Gabe Davis, yeah. Which if it's me out of this group, give me Elman Ra or Allen Robinson. Don't give me Gabe Davis or Darnell Mooney at this price. I think of all of those guys, I think I would probably have Mooney the highest. Okay. That's fair. Me too. I, have, yeah, I have him right. at twenty five. That's fair. I mean he's gonna get a ton of targets. It's just for me, I'm just like, eh, not really. Not a big fan of that. That's fine. Uh, yeah, relative to the other guy. So, all right, let's talk about. Uh, let's not. Yeah, we don't need to talk about Tyler Higby. No, he's not good, and he's not a good person. Mike, how do you feel about Tyler Higby? He's not a good person. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> Mike he's, thinks he's good. I don't think he's good, but I have him at tight end twenty-one. Uh, you don't need to be focusing on Tyler Higby. Nope. All yeah. right, let's move on to your. San Francisco 49ers. Uh, get this guy out of here since I made these notes. He gone. Palmer. Jimmy Garofalo gone. They said that he they said that he's going to be gone at, at uh, Kyle Shanahan said, uh, I don't see him ever practicing with us ever again. <laughs> I don't so, know how you can get more definitive than that. Yeah. So for everybody, he gone. everybody who's like, well, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, you should stop it. Um, Kyle Shanahan said, or John Lynch, one of them said yesterday too, in their press conference, you know, I have confidence Jimmy Garoppolo will have a strong remainder of his career, wherever that might be. And people are like, wherever that might be, 
That might be with the San Francisco. San Francisco. Francisco. Shut up. <laughs> no, it isn't. It is Trey Lance's team. Trey Lance has legit top five upside at the position. And that's not me being a homer. That's me running the numbers. Um, he played two and a half games last year. He had two rushing touchdowns in one of them, two passing touchdowns in another one. Uh, don't don't quote me on the rushing touchdown thing. I think that that was incorrect, actually. Um, he, he had two rushing touchdowns total. Total. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, in his games that he started, he averaged more fantasy points than Josh Allen averaged last year. If you take his, his half against Seattle and make it a full game. He has that upside. I'm not saying he's going to do that. He has a lot of question marks. He's got a really wild delivery. He's barely played football since yeah. COVID-19 started. He is learning the offense. He has a lot of these problems. but He's on barely top- played football, period. You've barely played football, period. <laughs> hey, I got into a Get game him. once. But, I mean, I on didn't. top... <laughs> Did you play, Walker? No, you didn't I never get played football. Game? Okay. <laughs> Uh, my parents bought, I played flag football in junior high. My parents bought me, uh, for like my eighth grade graduation gift, uh, like, um, a, uh, Raiders like training camp thing for football. And I was like, I don't want to play real football. It's like, I want to play basketball. If I want to get hit, if somebody hits me, I want them, them to get in trouble for it. Foul. <laughs> what I was saying was, uh, let's say J- uh, Trey Lance is Jimmy Garoppolo pr- plus running. Jimmy Garoppolo was quarterback 15 last year in a points per game basis. Yeah. So you add running into that and his price right now where he's QB 13 is below his floor. It's below his floor. Cause he ain't getting benched. He's not getting benched for Brock Purdy. He's not getting benched for Nate Sudfeld. He's they're They're going to trial <laughs> by <Sudfeld>. fire. Him. <laughs> he's the <laughs> Nate Sudfeld's the backup quarterback. Great. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to trial by fire Trey Lance, and whatever happens, happens. And worst case scenario, he's Jimmy Garoppolo, who can run the ball a little bit. Yeah. Like, that, mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, I have him at, at 12, but that's just mostly because I haven't seen it. I mean, he certainly could finish higher than that. I definitely think he is a top 12 guy, and I'll be drafting a lot of him. So, there's yeah. that. Yeah, I think his ADP is going to jump up once the Garoppolo move is official. It's going to jump up to like eight. Like they're going to put people are going to put him ahead of like the like Matthew Stafford tier. Yeah, they're going to put him ahead of Stafford. They're going to put him ahead of Prescott. They're going to put him ahead of Wilson. They might even put him ahead of Hertz. Which I don't know why they'd put him ahead of Prescott. Like Prescott's his best case scenario. Basically. Yeah. So, um, Mike, where would you put Trey Lance if Jimmy Garoppolo got traded today? QB eight. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. There we go. I like him at QB eight. Did you just say that because I said it, or? No, I, I think that's where he's going to finish. Uh, I, I think you guys hit on it with QB twelve, QB thirteen rankings. Is is this just a question mark? It's just like. I don't know what he's going to do. So we'll just throw him a QB 12 because he can run. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, I do. I saw a lot. I, I, I really like Trey Lance. Um, the little bit I saw of him. Um, he's, it's going to take some roads and bumps and stuff like that. But he definitely, by the end of the season, I do see him as a QB kind of eight kind of guy. Yeah. And um, uh, I was listening to the lateral podcast this morning. Shout out Herms McLateral. And uh, they were talking about Christian Watson, and they talk about how he's a lot like a like a minor league baseball player. 
But a minor league baseball player where you see all the tools there, he just needs mm-hmm. to get out there and, and show it and put it all together. And that's kind of how I feel about Trey Lance, too. Or it's like yeah. you can see all the ways that he could be a real like you could see all the ways that he could potentially be almost Josh Allen. Like I said, he could be yes. Dak Prescott. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you see all the things there that he could be. I don't want to invoke the name, but Tim Tebow, <laughs> because he hasn't done anything for a couple of years, you know, and he could be this undisciplined guy with this loopy, slow delivery that takes off and runs too much. Yeah, but even then, that's still good for fantasy. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's still good for fantasy. So, all right. Um, let's uh, let's move on to the running backs, and good luck. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, running back 24. Then Sermon, TDP, and Jeff Wilson are 67, 69, nice. and 75, 69. respectively. So you've got this definite break here uh, between these running backs. So, Walker, why don't you go ahead and talk about Eli Mitchell and the rest of the Niners running backs? Yeah, uh, Mitchell, I think, um, you know, presumptive starter, uh, was the best of the bunch last year. Uh, got four different injuries last season, and... Uh, missed six games with those. I, I don't think he's the type of back who can hold up in this system consistently. Um, but when he plays, he's probably going to be good and he's not quite as injury prone as Raheem Mostert was. So I have him at 29. Um, I, I think that he's the top guy there, but I think at his current price, I won't have any of them in drafts. Um, I don't have any of the other running backs in my top 50, but if I was going to take a flyer in the last round of my draft on a 49ers backup running back, I would do it on Sermon. Um, Mm. I think that he's a better football player than Tyrion Davis Price. They have the same draft capital. And, uh, you know, Jeff Wilson's just not anywhere near exciting enough for me to to spend a draft pick on. He's going to be there on waivers. If it ends up being a case where you need to scoop up Jeff Wilson in week six, you're going to be able to do it on waivers. So not worried about it. Okay. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing if Trey Sermon was a bust or not. Um, if he is, then I think what what's here is pretty much correct. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add. Um, and another question I'm gonna I, I'm curious about to see what transpires is: Are the 49ers going to be a, a one man running back again where they were last year? So is that you know that was a big change from previous years where they you know oh, rotated backs like crazy. So are they going to go back to that because they drafted Ontarian Price, or is this going to still remain what it was last last season? Uh, so here are my thoughts on the Niners running backs. Um, who knows? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. No, um, the, the TDP pick had to do with making sure that they got Debo Samuel back. They spent a third round pick to make Debo Samuel happy. I think that he's going to get his touches, but I think he's a depth player. But as Walker mentioned, um, four injuries last year for uh, Elijah Mitchell. So there will be opportunities available for um tdp to come in and get the ball so there's also the trey sermon factor it's like this this running back room it's just get the cheapest one 
Yeah. But not Jeff Wilson. Don't do Jeff Wilson. Whichever one of Trey Sermon and TDP you want to get, get them and see what happens. You can get both of them and see what happens. But I think that Eli Mitchell will at some point show that he cannot handle the full load again. He will get hurt again. Um, and we will be back in a situation where it's a mess. And yeah, I'm not drafting any of them, to be honest with you. I that's a completely that's a completely valid perspective to have because it's like, it's going to be a headache. And the thing about um, Eli Mitchell last year too, was the Niners running back room was decimated. So it could be a situation where he got all those touches out of necessity. You know, they were working out Lamar Miller and Johnson and, and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, that could have been out of necessity instead of being the new reality. And we just don't know. So you can just, instead of taking Eli Mitchell, um, or any of these running backs late, like Eli Mitchell, let's see, running back 24, you could take uh, Brees Hall at 23, A.J. Dillon at 25. Uh, two yeah. guys with way mm-hmm. fewer question marks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, all right, let's talk about these wide receivers. Uh, Debo Samuel, wide receiver seven, who is at camp. He's just not, uh, he's doing conditioning while they get the contract sorted out. And then Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver 40. So, um, Mike, why don't you talk about these wide receivers for the Niners? Yeah, I'm not exactly happy with these guys either. Um, I just don't know. Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel is a lock-in at wide receiver seven with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. But with Trey Lance, uh, A, again, we don't know what Trey Lance is going to do as a, as a passer. And B, a lot of points that came from Debo Samuel was the fact that how great he is um, as a running uh, running back kind of guy you know so if trey lance is running the ball all over the place guess what's going to happen with Debo samuel he's not going to get those carries because uh J- jimmy garoppolo di- doesn't run that's mm-hmm. what made samuel so so um great as as this wide receiver and if those things are taken away from him passing the ball which we don't know about and running the ball how good really is Debo samuel not not talent wise but useful wise and without the use there's no fantasy points Brandon Ayuk's the same way. We, you know, he he fell really off with that that whole role with Debo Samuel, and he doesn't really have much of a of a base if um, unless Samuel gets hurt. So none of these guys I I really like at their price whatsoever. Uh, I won't draft any of them. Okay, I'm going to push back on the Debo Samuel with Trey Lance thing real quick um, because of the rushing thing that you mentioned. Uh, the first eight games of the year. Debo Samuel averaged 110 yards per game, and he had six carries in those eight games. Total. So he doesn't need to run to have that value. That That's one thing. Uh, he was really, really good. Um, he played three games with Trey Lance. Uh, he had, uh, this is half Garoppolo, half Lance, but 13, eight for 13 for 156 yards, two touchdowns against Seattle, three for nine for 58 yards against Arizona, and then six for 63 against um houston so so he's still getting the production but it is lower to your point mike so that is a the the, my only pushback and this is my pushback all off season everywhere i've gone where people have talked about debo samuel is the dude was good without rushing so him not rushing isn't going to be a problem but trey lance rushing does bring down the overall upside of the entire passing game so i do see what Mm -hmm. you're talking about there mike yeah and 
Um, I don't know uh, what he did with with Trey Lance, but that's such a really small sample size as well. I mean, if Trey Lance, again, it's not Debo Samuel as a player. It's just it's just the opportunity for Debo Samuel to express his traits. So if if Trey Lance is not a good quarterback, even though Samuel did all right with him in that small sample, um, long term wise is a whole different story. And if Lance can't get that ball to him then that's not going to matter. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying that if you're drafting as a wide receiver seven, you're taking a lot of risk on a situation that may not be um, there for you. So I I feel more secure with Debo Samuel being at the later, you know, wide receiver 14, wide receiver 15 than I do at wide receiver seven, which means I'll never, never draft him. Yeah, you're never going to have him. No, no. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was looking up his ADOT, because I know it was 2.2 in 2020, so it was 8.4 last year, so they did use him more as a uh, traditional wide receiver last year. So uh, how do you feel about Trey Lance, or not Trey Lance, Brandon Ayuk, Mike? Yeah, I think Brandon Ayuk is, if, if if I'm negative on Debo Samuel, then Ayuk is even worse. And Ayuk, to me, is someone that is only useful if Samuel's injured. So, yeah. Um, so if you don't yeah. trust Debo, you don't trust Ayuk. Uh, Walker, yeah. yeah. Walker, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Um, I mean, I like Samuel. I, I think that while the obviously um, probably won't get quite as many targets as he did with Garoppolo, but I think he'll still be the number one receiver in the offense uh, pretty convincingly. And um, I think they're going to continue to make him a priority. I have him as my wide receiver six in tier three, so I really like him. Um, I, I the at least a court, you know, compared to Mike, I suppose. But this this tier of receivers, I don't know if I'll have um, just because mm-hmm. of drafting philosophies and such. But yeah, I mean, he's a uh, he's a good option in my opinion. Um, Ayuk, I have at wide receiver forty three. I think he'll have a few boom weeks here or there, but on a consistent type basis, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be in your starting lineup any uh, with regularity. Yeah. Yeah. So Ayuk was a guy that um, got caught in the narrative too, because he started off super slow, but um, I was putting his, um, his uh, player profile together today for the, uh, the draft kit. And part of that is uh, the season end ranks from last year. Can you guys guess where he finished in PPR last year? 32 wide receiver 43 35 yeah that was pretty close yeah you were right on it yeah by using i use ffpc as the shorthand for ppr um so yeah it's 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 gonna be interesting i think that he's a great value in salary cap drafts where he's a buck and a half not so much in snake and snake drafts you could if you nominate him for a dollar and you get him for a dollar or even three I think that that's perfectly fine as a guy on your bench, but yeah, I mean, I, at his price in redraft, I probably won't have him. I, I like other guys in that range better. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's do this. Um, the, he's our last cheap wide receiver that we're going to talk about. So let's say you have $3 to spend in a salary cap draft out of okay. the running back or the wide receivers we've talked about Ayuk, van Jefferson. And then thinking back on the AFC, um, the, Downline KC guys or Tim Patrick? Uh, those guys, I would prefer Ayuk of, of all of them. Just barely over Patrick. 
Yeah. So Mike, it's Tim Patrick, the Chiefs guys not named Juju, um, Van Jefferson, and Ayuk. Yeah, for me it's Patrick. Okay. What if I threw uh, Hunter Renfro in there? I'd go Renfro. I would also go Renfro. Okay. Renfro is 1.7, which means he's going for three or more more often than than he's going for a buck or two. So all those guys were one and a half or lower. So I, I didn't keep them in the first list. So there you go. All right. George Kittle tight end 542 overall. I mean, George Kittle is the last of the elite tight ends. Uh, he's been a top five tight end each of the last four years um, on a points per game basis. The only question with him is health. Uh, but his health the last two years have each been caused by Jimmy Garoppolo medicine balls. So if, <laughs> yeah. Or hospital balls or whatever your yeah, regional hospital term. Hospital balls, yeah. Ho- hospital balls. Um, so uh, although one of them, it looked like Garoppolo was throwing a medicine ball because it died on him and <laughs> and land, land, uh, Kittle got his knee <laughs> taken out trying to die for it. Um, so if you think that Lance is going to have better uh, ball accuracy, then you think that there's going to be more um, – ability for Kittle to stay healthy, then you absolutely want to take him top five. Um, the only issue with Kittle, and it's I'm actually correcting something that I said myself before to account for the fact that he completely disappeared for a three-game stretch last year, is he's a really good blocker. But in that stretch, mm-hmm. he wasn't blocking a lot. He wasn't blocking any more than usual. He's running the same number of routes. He just wasn't involved. And what I'm talking about is the stretch from, from week 16 yeah. through 18, where he had 15 targets and 10 catches and 60 yards in a three game. That's not an average. That's a three game stretch. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what they were doing. He yeah. disappeared like big time. He does. Yeah. What's even crazier is the three game stretch before that. He averaged nine catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Kyle Shanahan just decided to take him out of the lineup. Walker. Hold on. The three games before that. Three catches, 32 yards per game. Average? Yeah. Jesus. The, <laughs> so it's, that's, just, it's just completely random, but his, his big games are going to be as big as anybody in the league. Exactly. So the reason, so George Kittle has as much upside as any tight end in the league. He mm-hmm. also has the downside that you mostly see in down blob guys. Like we we're talking about sub Zach Ertz. Like a, he has Mike Gesicki downside in any given week. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he can finish, you know, if, if he's if it's a week where he's not super involved and he doesn't score a touchdown, then he's going to be like tight end 18 on the week. But if he's involved, he's going to be top three every single time. Yeah. So uh, I have him at tight end three uh, in my tier two. I, I like Kittle a lot this year. Um, I I think that his price in the middle of the fourth round is a little bit low. I, I would take him at the like the end of the third, start of the fourth. Um, and yeah, I have him right there with Pitts. I just think he'll score a couple more touchdowns, and that's why I have him slightly ahead of Pitts. But yeah, those are my my three and four. Yeah. So um, much like we talked about, if Cliff, if uh, Cliff Kingsbury fails to get Kyler Murray ready to go without DeAndre Hopkins, that's on him. Uh, Kyle Shanahan has had over a year to figure out what he's going to do with Trey Lance, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel. And I think a lot of George Kittle falling off had to do with Jimmy Garoppolo not being great and the uh, Niners just running the ball to try to survive, Um, especially because if you look at his week 18 game, he had five catches for 10 yards. Jeez. That's such a stupid (laughs) stat line for a guy like George Kittle. Seven targets, five catches, 10 yards. 
Like, come on. That's like, that's like uh, people talk about like, hey, if you were an NFL quarterback and you had seven pass attempts, what would your final line be? I'd Five be like, for seven for 10 yards. <laughs> yeah, because I just dumped the ball off to whoever was closest and yeah. make them do the work. All right, let's finish this up with the NFC West. Uh, I don't want to talk about the Seahawks quarterbacks because nobody should care about the Seahawks quarterbacks. Whether it's Drew Locke or Geno Smith, it's going to be a nightmare there for everybody else. Yep. Fair? Yeah, it looks like Geno Smith's going to be the starter. Um, yeah. He is not in my top 25 quarterbacks. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, if uh, Geno Smith is a starting quarterback, Drew Locke will be the starting quarterback by week four. So, um, and then whoever else is on the in the on that roster will be the starting quarterback by week eight. Uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be ugly, ugly. Yeah. So um, they also spent um, draft capital on offensive linemen and running backs. So let's talk about running backs instead. Rashad Penny, RB thirty two. Kenneth Walker the third or Ken Walker RB 36 um uh Rashad Penny finally broke out last year uh after getting five consecutive healthy games and uh Ken Ken Walker the big knock on him is people aren't sure if he can catch the ball uh so Walker what are your thoughts on all of this um yeah I think I think Penny will get the first chance to be the starting running back and I don't think it'll be a big committee type thing I -hmm. think that Basically, at the start of the season, Rashad Penny's going to be the guy you want. And at the end of the season, Kenneth Walker's going to be the guy you want. Um, and I'm projecting like a slightly over half a season for Penny, because that's about the most that I can reasonably give myself for this yeah. guy. Um, so I have Penny at RB31, pretty much right on consensus. Um, and I have Walker at RB40, just because, uh, you know, both of these guys should be productive on the ground. But not only is Seattle probably not going to throw to them very much because neither of them have ever caught passes at, at any sort of high rate. Um, the quarterbacks that would be throwing them the ball suck. So it's, it's not going to be efficient in the passing game. You're going to have to rely on rushing yards and touchdowns. It's going to be a bad offense. Um, not necessarily heinous, but pretty bad. So I, I, I just don't see them, either of them, getting the touchdown production to be consistent like top 24 guys. Um, and therefore, for the most part, um, you know, I've only been getting them to fill out my bench if they fall. Yeah, my main issue with Rashad Penny is here's his career high in touches. He's been in the league for four years. So he had 11 touches in 2020, 73 touches in 2019, 94 touches in 2018. 97 touch I'm sorry 99 touches from weeks 14 through 18 last year <laughs> so right. he had his career high in touches in a five game stretch yeah and, I mean I just don't I don't foresee him getting 20 touches a game this year for yeah. 17 games that's just yeah. that's not something he's ever done and it doesn't something that we should be expecting him to do yeah and um we did get clarity with Chris Carson retiring but we all were working under the assumption that he wasn't going to play anyways Mm-hmm. So um, I don't see a lot of clarity here. So Mike, uh, are you Team Penny or Team Walker? I'm Team Walker. I'm always okay. Team Walker. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And with Rashad Penny, as as much as you really want to like take what he did, which was excellent. I mean, he, he really had an excellent last four four or five games. But uh, Houston, uh, Chicago. Detroit, Arizona, uh, you know, whatever. 
the the game that he struggled in was against the Rams, where he had 11 carries for 39 yards. Doesn't catch the ball. He had in that set he had eight targets total, eight targets, not catches, targets. Uh, so you, they're not throwing him the ball. And then when you have two bad quarterbacks as well, um, what are the defenses going to do? You think they're going to be threatened by Geno Smith or Drew Locke? Hell no. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to be putting like 11 men in the box. Uh, so good every luck guy, trying to run. Every guy in the box. Every guy. Put them we'll all just, in the box. We'll just play let's, goal line defense the whole game. Um, let's let's be clear here. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks offense will help because they're going to have like eight guys on the line and everybody else is going to be all bunched up. <laughs> so yeah, they'll make it real easy to put 11 be, in the box. Yeah, it's going to be DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett get open. Everybody else block. Everybody yeah, else block. Pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, I no, I don't care about these two guys. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm um I'm taking a shot on Walker or Penny cuz they're so cheap. Just if I'm in a position to take one of them cuz it's like Penny, we've seen how athletic he can be, but his downside is injuries and Ken Walker we don't know what he can do, but he could just be Rashad Penny. And we know this team's going to want to run the ball. So it's like it's one of those things where, you know, I can either ride Rashad Penny for this price till he goes down or I can stash Ken Walker till Rashad Penny goes down and then ride him. Yeah. So, and I mean, Walker, I, I comped him to J.K. Dobbins as a prospect. I mean, if he if Penny goes down, that's what you're going to get out of Walker is a lot of runs, pretty good yards per carry average, decent touchdown production hardly any pass catching yep. yeah you're gonna get a lower upside jk dobbins basically there you go so um all right let's talk about these wide receivers huh so we've got uh dk metcalf tyler lockett wide receiver 19 and 37 obviously facing a massive downgrade at quarterback but only one of them seems to have that priced into their their adp this year with metcalf going higher than he finished last year which explained that to me and then Lockett going at wide receiver 37. So, Mike, why don't you go ahead and talk about these wide receivers? Yeah, I, DK Metcalf did okay with Geno Smith. I would I would assume that uh, he would be better with Drew Locke just because Locke has the stronger arm and mm-hmm. DK Metcalf runs those, you know, deep patterns. So, to me, Metcalf would be better off. And that's why I actually had Drew Locke penciled in as a starter. But... Um, Geno Smith right now, as Walker mentioned, is the is the quarterback. Um, so I, I, how how do you get excited about DK Metcalf and Geno Smith? You you can't. Um, and like this, in, Mike, I am so excited for Geno Smith <laughs> and DK or whatever you said. Yippee! Oh, whoa! So, whoop, whoop. Um, yeah. So wide receiver nineteen, like you mentioned, which is better than what he finished last year. No. Uh, so I have him like wide receiver 24, 27, something to that effect. Yeah. And Tyler Lockett, wide receiver 45, 50. It's going to just stay away from all these guys. Stay, stay away. Okay. Walker, how are you feeling about these two? Yeah, I'm pretty close to consensus. I'm slightly below on Metcalf. I have him at 22. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of screw it i'm chucking it deep to metcalf and he can pull down a lot of those so i think he's gonna have like a high volatility type mike williams looking season where he finishes with like 57 catches for a thousand yards or something Mm. ridiculous like that 
And uh, I, I think he's sometimes useful. I would say he is a decent best ball pick, but in I like uh, this in league in leagues where you have to set your starting lineup every week, he's going to be inconsistent. Um, and then Lockett, I mean, Lockett's a good player, but he's aging, and he and Russell Wilson had that special type of mind meld that some quarterback and receiver duos have. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's simply not going to be able to rely on that with Drew Locke or Geno Smith. He's not going to have, he's not going to be able to just run down the field and have somebody throw a perfect deep ball right into his breadbasket. That's right. not happening this year. And that's where a lot of his value comes from. So I think that they'll manufacture enough touches for him that he won't be completely useless, but I don't like him in the top 36. And I actually have him at 37 along with ADP. Yeah, I'm I'm completely hands off on both of these guys. I think I have Metcalf in the like 28 range, like Mike said, and then block it further down because this is going to be a team that's, I mean, they might run the ball 57% of the time. Like we might see a Ravens-esque offense out of them that, you know, with Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson, but just with a worse quarterback back there with either Geno or Drew Locke because their, their DNA is to run the football. They fired Brian Schottenheimer because he didn't want to run the ball enough. I cannot I cannot stress that point enough. Yeah, Mr. Fired, yeah. No, fired noted Mr. Running, run the ball. Yeah, noted noted running offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer fired because he didn't run the ball enough. Yeah, and uh, Brian Schottenheimer had that rule of 53 or whatever, where it's 53 combined completions or rush attempts meant you were going to win the game. Yeah, which just is, some absolutely just insane sim- simplistic moron stuff. Yeah, to believe. that's a correlation causation thing there, buddy. Um, so I'm not touching this passing game. And that includes tight end 16, Noah Fant, uh, 137 overall. Um, he was tight end 12 seven times last year. He's in essentially the same situation he was in last year. A run first team with two very good wide receivers and a terrible quarterback throwing in the ball on a on a team that is building from the defense first. But the defense is head scratching at times. Um, I have no interest in Noah Fant. He's in the blob. Um, around guys like uh, he's between Cole Komet, Albert Okwagbunum, David Njoku, and he's way ahead of my boy Gerald Everett. So yeah, I, I, would, just, I would take all of those guys other than Everett ahead of Fan. Yeah, he's right behind Irv Smith, which I would take. That's a I would take neither of those guys. I would take Fan over Irv Smith easily, but I hate Irv Smith. Yes. So Mike, what are your thoughts on Noah Fan? I think if any of these players that have, um, especially the wide receiver, it's Noah Fant that I would have uh, the most trust in. Just because I could see Geno Smith just dumping it off to Fant uh, and getting just racking up targets and those kind of things. But am I excited about Fant? No, I think tight end 16 is, yeah, where I would put him as well. But that's just how bad I see the rest of this team is just Noah Fant is your guy. Yikes! Um, so it, it's it's more of how bad this team is than actually how good Noah Fan is. Okay, so we ended uh, the Wests on a big old fart, the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, more like but Noah fart. Noah fart. Uh, so we'll be back next week to talk the AFC and NFC South, um, and then we'll finish up in two weeks with the AFC and NFC North. Uh, Mike and I will be back after the break to talk to JJ Burden about his time in the NFL. And uh, his uh, his um, book, his book. Thank you. That's not the word I was looking for, though. His uh, is missed in Fasco. His second career as a motivational speaker. That's speaker. What I was oh, yeah. So, the second career. Is, yeah, that's what you're looking for. Yes. So we'll be back after the break. Um, 
everybody else will talk to you next week in the Patreon feed. Thanks for being here and uh, thanks for listening to the long episode. Okay, so we are here with today's guest, uh, J.J. Burden. He was a seven-year NFL player with the Chiefs and the Falcons, an Olympic hopeful, as well as he is now an author and motivational speaker. J.J., welcome in. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Hey, gentlemen. It's good to see you. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to sharing some, some good information. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you. So, um, for the people who don't know, uh, you were an eighth round pick of the Browns in 1988. Uh, you suffered an injury, um, and you saw your first game action in 1990. So, um, the first thing I wanted to know, because your whole deal is, you know, taking advantage of opportunities, not letting adversities get you down. Did, did this kind of start with this trip to the IR to start your career? Yeah, that was like a, not a very auspicious start to my NFL career. And what's interesting, too, is that I didn't really want to play in the NFL. That was never really the goal or the plan. You know, I'm not that kid who dreamed about playing the NFL. It was like farthest thing from my mind. But, you know, I had a decent um, college career at Oregon, nothing impressive, but I was more there for track. You know, I'd qualified for the 1980 Olympic trials and the long jump. So that was really the focus. And being I got drafted by the Browns, I, it was more of a curiosity for myself, like, okay, let me just go to the Browns mini camp just so I can say I did. So that mm-hmm. years down the road, I don't say, man, I should have went. I just figured, let me just go check it out. And that was really the goal. And the third practice, I tore up my ACL ligament. And that's kind of when everything switch it just it changed because i couldn't run track mm-hmm. here i am with the browns it was like okay i'm gonna sit on ir and make sure these guys get my knee 100 percent. and that was really how i um sort of called an audible so to speak mm-hmm. so um i'm guessing that that became your your track that your no pun intended uh staying with the nfl not doing the long jump anymore anything like that yeah what's interesting though guys is like Even that year, I was more thinking about getting healthy, getting healthy, getting healthy, and getting back on the track. But I remember about halfway through the season, because I was there every day watching practices. I'm in all the meetings. And in the back of my mind, I'm kind of evaluating these players. And I'm trying to see, like, you know, could I play in the NFL? And I'll tell you, it was halfway through the season. I was sitting in a meeting watching a film, and I saw a guy do something, and I thought, I can do that. I said, you know what? (laughs) I can play in the NFL if I really want to. If I make that the goal, and that moment there, guys, that was the goal. And everything was now focused on becoming an NFL wide receiver. That's awesome. I love that, that um, you know, because a lot of people could get down in that perspective. Like, I didn't even want to be here. Like, this wasn't what I was going to do. You know, I was going to go be in the Olympics. And then you have the presence of mind to be like, well, this is what life dealt me. Let me see what I can do with it. And you turn it into seven years in the league. So that's... Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that as painful as the ACL tear was, that's probably the best thing that could have happened to me if I was going to play in the NFL, because I didn't believe I could play in the NFL. I thought I was too small. I didn't have the stats. But having that year in IR, watching and learning, no pressure, Mm -hmm. that really made a difference. And it just helped me believe that I could actually play. 
And um, and by the way, actually, I'm credited for nine years. Not oh, seven, sorry, yeah. Nine years. <laughs> and let me tell you, when you hit retirement and the pension comes in, yeah. nine years makes a big difference. <laughs> seven. That's right, yeah. It's, I was going off of, you know, you you had stats yeah, in seven yeah. years, but because of 80, 88, 89, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to shortchange JJ. Nine years in the league. There we go. No, but that that's that's uh really cool that um you know you can say you know what I I can do this and I think that that's an important thing for people to remember where they can say um you know I don't belong here is such an easy thing to think but you know you look around and everybody's just trying to do their best and trying to make it you yeah. know and yeah that's a great point because I think you know when a, when an athlete comes from college and they go to the NFL we all have that moment where we're like okay. Everybody here is a great athlete. Mm -hmm. This guy's all American. That guy was all this. Everybody's great. So you have that moment where you're like, okay, I got to step up my game. I got to grow. I got to improve. And then you have some of these guys are like, you know what? I'm going to just keep doing what I did in college. It'll work out. And it doesn't work out. And I realized Mm -hmm. that, okay, I got to really step up my game because it doesn't matter how fast I am, how far I can jump. I've got to learn to play at this level. Yeah, that's great. Mike, do you have any questions about about the the tear or anything? The the starting off in the NFL? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you and I and I just and in the play of, of your motivational speaking, I'm curious on so you you an eighth round draft pick and we don't even have eight, eight rounds anymore. Um you're you're tear your ACL back then, which was ACL, your career is basically over. And you overcome those type of things, as you mentioned, you're a small receiver. Um, Did any of that sort of play into your head that, hey, you know what, if I can overcome these things, I can almost overcome anything and be a a player in this NFL and sort of start what you're even doing now? Or or is that a correlation? I think it's I think it was already a process that had already begun for me as a young person, because, guys, I was always the little guy. Grade school, junior high, high school, all my life I hear you're too small, you don't belong, you need to do something else. So I always had this chip on my shoulder where I was having to prove I belong. So I was kind of used to having to deal with that. So I think though when I got the ACL, it was like, okay, here's an adversity that's next level. Are you ready for this? Well, life had been preparing me for that moment. And it's like, you know, when I tore my ACL up, I remember how I was in a treatment center and I was crying and I never cried anything about anything athletically. But then for that moment, I had that pity party for about five seconds. And I was like, you need to snap out of this pity party. What are you going to do now? And I'll tell you what, when Dr. Bergfeld, who did my surgery, he comes over to me. I said, doctor, man, my speed. I'm, he goes, JJ, 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 if you work really hard, not only can you come back, you could come back even faster. Mm-hmm. That was the right thing to say to me because I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. And guys, I did before the ACL tear. Mm-hmm. I ran a four three nine four three eight. After the ACL tear, I ran a four three three. Hey. So yeah, he he really said the right thing at the right time. This is what I needed to hear. I needed that challenge, something to go for. Yeah, and you hear about that different sport, but in baseball with guys who get Tommy John surgery, the guys who really take advantage of the time to rehab, rebuild their form, make sure that they're doing everything fundamentally sound. They usually come back thrown faster. 
from which is really, you know, if you try to think of the two sports, that's the baseball equivalent of the ACL pair, you know, the fairly frequent knocks you out for the year. And, you know, there's a little bit of question marks around you when you come back. So um, speaking of guys who are going to miss their rookie year, we've got, uh, you know, Justin Ross dealt with a myriad of injuries in college. He got a broken foot. He was put on IR. John Mechie of the Texans, he got a leukemia diagnosis. You know, he, he, it sounds like it's very treatable. He should be back in 2023. These are two guys that are in the same shoes that you were in. So, you know, if you could reach back in time and tell young JJ, you know, what you should be doing, basically, what should you tell these guys of what they should be doing? What did you learn from that perspective from your time in rehab? And then we'll talk about how that rolls into your book and your your philosophies. Yeah, I would tell those gentlemen because I, you know, I think, like I said earlier, because I had so many different challenges growing up I was it was like preparing me for that moment and the things that I did I would tell these gentlemen I'll say one is you know it's not over (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it's not over obviously these guys can play again but you got to be patient you have to be patient you've got to listen to your doctor you got to listen to the trainers and you have to follow the recommendation they give you but you also have to understand this I'd say success is an endurance race it's going to take time. Gentlemen, you mentioned at the beginning, it took me three years mm-hmm. to finally get in a act in a, a regular season game. But during that time, I was putting in the work and I was messing up and I was getting better and I was in Dallas, you know. So I would just tell these guys, be patient. You could turn this into something positive, but just listen to the doctors and trainers. Keep doing the work and your time will come. That's that's a that's a great uh philosophy to have and so um your book uh when opportunity knocks eight surefire ways to take advantage did that where did the that whole idea start did that start way back in 88 or is that something you thought about later where did this all come from yeah it really started i tell you guys it started in college um the concept of taking advantage of opportunities because I was a I was the number one wide receiver in high school in, in Oregon. I was all state. I had these crazy stats, but I was 5'9", 133 pounds. So no Division One school even offered me a scholarship. I took it as an insult because I felt I was a D1 athlete. So when the track season came around, I knew I could get a Division One scholarship. I was the number two long jumper in the nation. Mm-hmm. And every school that recruited me, I said, what do you think about me playing football? And everyone said no except for Oregon. And Oregon said, hey, you come to Oregon, you run for us. If you can convince the coach to let you walk on the second year, you have our blessing. So that's all I need to hear. So the first year there, when we're doing track, I started looking at at the football practices. I started secretly going up there, evaluating these players. And after three days of that, I made the decision I can play. I just got to get noticed. Next day, I went on the field and I stood on the practice field waiting for a coach to come and kick me off so I could tell them why I was there. Well, the head coach, Rich Brooks, he saw me. He comes down the field. He's like, track kid, burden. I saw you out here. What are you doing here? And I just started getting in his ear. I can do this. Give me a shot. Give me a shot. So we kind of went back and forth. The point is, he said, I'll let you walk on this fall. And that's kind of where the seed was planted about seizing your opportunities, because sometimes in life you have to create opportunities where it appears none exists. And Mm -hmm. they didn't recruit me. But think about this, guys. 
I begged him to walk on, which led to me going to the NFL, which led me playing nine years in the NFL. Crazy. So when I wrote that book, I was just trying to impress upon people, if there's something you want, you got to go create the opportunity. But then when you get it, you have to blow through that door. I'm just saying it. When opportunity knocks, you don't answer the door. No, you rip the door off the hinges and you make <laughs> opportunity stay. Right. That's what I did. That's perfect. So, um, yeah, so I was going to ask you what's like the one big thing that people should take away. And I think that's it. You got to you got to slam that door open when opportunity knocks. So um, the uh, the book, I see it is on Amazon on Kindle. Is there anywhere else people can find it? Is that the best place to get it? I'd say you go to my website, because if you order okay. through my website, they come by my desk. <laughs> so I sign up. <laughs> ah, you know? there you go. So I get to sign all the ones that are ordered through my website. So I would definitely say that because um, I'm in the early stages of planning book number two. So yes, yeah. finally, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> now, I hear that. Yes, it's been in the works, Mike. And but it's like I've gone back and forth. And I'll tell you what, why this has been a delay because I've had so many people that have asked me, why didn't you write an autobiography? Mm. We've heard your story. Write an autobiography. Yes. I even had reporters who followed me from high school. And so I, I decided it's going to be an autobiography. Um, and it's kind of good that I delayed it because, you know, I've, I've been speaking more, I've gathered more content and also too, guys, you know what I found out, you know, in the last 35 plus years, I don't know how far back this goes. You know, there has not been an NFL player who played longer than me, nine years that weighs under 160 pounds. Oh, wow. So when I learned that, I thought, man, what a great title for my autobiography, Under 160 Pounds, something <laughs> like that, you know, because there's so many people out there that feel like an underdog. And, and yep. I want my story to be not just for athletes, just for anyone. Yeah, and I that's probably a record that's unlikely to break given how everybody in the NFL it feels like, you know, it's 175 just to get through the door now. You yeah. know, the, the, <laughs> they won't even look at you if you if you're under that. So that's great. And yeah, so an autobiography, honestly, it I I don't want to gas you up here. It sounds like it would be a great movie, you know? In that kind of Rudy style where, you know, it's, it's you know, you're you had to fight your way onto the football team. You're a long jumper. You, you had you'll have that second act like, oh, you know, the ACL tear sets you back. And then you have your nine years in the NFL. They'll want to shortchange you, JJ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm excited about that. We're going to start writing it. Actually, actually, I'm going to probably hire a ghostwriter this time. I wrote this one. But this time I want a professional writer to work with me so it's it's just done right because um you know you got one shot to write an autobiography and i want to make sure not only we get the information right but i want to make sure it connects with the masses because being a speaker guys i mean i speak i do a lot of corporate speaking and stuff but i'm blown away how many people just in everyday life at point at times feel like an underdog mm -hmm. you know I was speaking to a gentleman not too long ago, and he was telling me how he felt like an underdog at work. And I'm like, huh? He goes, he goes, I work in this office, in this cubicle, next to this guy who went to Harvard, and I went to this other college. And every time someone comes in, they're more impressed with him because he went to Harvard. And he goes, I feel like an underdog. you know. And I thought, man, there's probably a lot of people that feel like that in the workforce. And so if I can lift them up and help them understand what it takes to come, on, come out on top as an underdog, that's going to be one of the goals with that book. 
That's awesome. That's great to hear. So um, let's talk about, uh, unless Mike, do you have any questions about the book? Um, no, I'm excited about book number two. Uh, the book number one, of course, is, is amazing and everybody should get it. I mean, it's just the inspiration alone is, is pretty awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah, book number two, I, when we talked, uh, I think it was again, like three or four years ago, you yeah. mentioned it and I've been waiting, 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 waiting <laughs> to, to, to hear that it's actually going to come to fruition is exciting. Um, I do before before we get into the, the mist and Fasco, I do have a couple questions for you about um, playing football. And one of the things, um, were you more? I would imagine you were probably more a Z, or were you an X receiver? I actually moved around. I started out in X, and then uh, when Montana joined our team, they moved me to Z. Then the second year, they moved me to X, and then I just kind of got moved around because I knew all four of the positions. So. Uh, but when I went to Atlanta, they put me as an X on the left. So, and then with being an X, um, how did you manage, um, you know, man coverage and uh, press? How, how was that on you? What, what, what were the things that you you tried to install that you could teach others about um, how to battle, you know, that press coverage? Yeah, that was a that was a really uh, important aspect of my game because, gentlemen, when I first came in the league and I went to my first camp. The Browns, man, I realized that, man, it didn't matter how fast you were or how quick. It's all technique. And mm -hmm. these DBs were jamming me up pretty good. And But that began, that started the the process of me really learning how to beat bump and run man-to-man. -man because at 157 pounds, right. if those DBs get their hands on me, they're pushing <laughs> me out of bounds. Right, yeah. right. So I went through this process, guys, where I started first studying all the top wide receivers, watching film on them, how they would beat man to man, you know, and writing down things and taking notes. And then, guys, I started kind of coming up with my own releases. I had names for them, and then I practiced it over and over and did it in games, and I got better and better. And this, I think, is one of the reasons why I played as long as I did at my size, because I got really good at beating bump and run. And a lot of it really, Mike, was just studying film. You know, you have to study your opponent and you're looking for the tendencies. And once you see what that DB's tendencies are, then you have a pretty good idea how to beat them. And, um, you know, it took me some time, but I got really good at it to the point where I could tell you one game we were playing against um, Pittsburgh and Rod Woodson is like one of the greatest to play. <laughs> But Rod Woodson would start backing off on me because he he because whenever he got in my face, he, I don't know if he just wasn't good up front, but I, I kind of owned him a little bit up front. And then he started playing off man to man like five, six yards. So I thought, OK, I must be getting some respect in the league because they know I can beat this technique. Yeah, I think he, he had one of those. What the heck is this guy doing? Like <laughs> sort of moments. And so he's like, all right, let me let me step back because I'm not going to be able to bully this guy. You know, I think it's yeah. probably what was going through his head. Yeah, and Mike, just to add to that, I tell receivers, especially college receivers, I don't care how good you are in college, this is the difference maker. Everybody can catch, everyone can run routes, but can you beat man-to-man -man consistently? Can the quarterback yeah. count on you to win man-to-man? -man? Can the co That's the difference maker, and I think that's why if a wide receiver doesn't have a great career and he plays two years or whatever it is, that's why. And, um, and I watch college receivers and I just I see a lot of them struggle with it some don't but I see a lot of them struggle with that that that's the key to the NFL level for wide receiver 
Yeah, and even um, the video, uh, the couple of videos I've seen, even when they're playing a little bit of cushion on you, you, you would, uh, you you could get up on that DB, sort of do that that jab step. Um, I forget what DB that was that you just totally broke his ankles on it with that fantastic jab step oh, that yeah. he had outside outside of the outside of his hips, and man, he completely fell over. And then you went in, ran it in, and boom miracles happen um yeah yeah see and that's an example of again preparation you know because i studied the film and i knew that if he's an outside technique that's where he's protected so if i step him outside he's going to jump out and then i come in but see that comes with practice it comes with experience and that's why i always encourage young receivers like get in get in the film session really study your opponent you know so you can have that advantage going into the game and then I have one more question on on before before we do in the mist and Pasco. Um, so you obviously played for with Joe Montana, and that that has to be just fantastic. Um, so this question is going to be a little bit more difficult because I think the obvious answer is Joe Montana. So there's two scenarios I, w- I want to ask you about. Number one would be okay, you're you're at your own twenty, and you have to drive down the field. Two minutes, two minute warning. Which quarterback would you want to drive down the field? Can't be Joe Montana. Um, and B, uh, three seconds left. You're on your own 40, and you have to catch um, a uh, a bomb, um, whatever fade route you want to run, um, corner post, whatever. And you have to catch that 70 yard pass. Which quarterback would you want to throw the ball? So we're, what quarterbacks are we referring to? Are we referring to today's quarterbacks or the you quarterbacks, quarterbacks? Huh? Quarterbacks you played with or any or um, if you want to throw in today's quarterback, that's fine, too. Um, but quarterbacks you played with would would um, be fantastic or in quarterbacks, too. Each well, I can't say if I can't say Montana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, it's cheating. <laughs> if, I, if, I'm, if I'm talking about quarterbacks I played with, um that's a good question. Um, I played with Aikman and he was a rookie, so I didn't get to really see a lot with him. And and um, Kozar, I didn't play a lot with him. I probably, ooh, that's a good one. I probably would go with, I might, I might go with DeBerg. If I got to go with a guy and I can't go with Montana, I might go with DeBerg. You know, DeBerg was pretty solid. He was a journeyman. He was very consistent. Um and then if I need that bomb, I'm going to go with Jeff George. His arm is just ridiculous. I mean, he had a cannon. You know, if I need to go 60, 70 yards, he just, he could just flick. <laughs> <you know? laughs> what, what do you think, not to slander um, Jeff George, but being a Colts fan and having him being drafted by the, the Colts, I think the first pick, second pick, can't remember which, but. Why didn't he work out, you think? Why? I mean, he had some great seasons here and there, but what do you think was sort of the difference between him being the the first or second pick of the draft to, you know, a mediocre career? I think maybe back then, you know, I think quarterbacks back then weren't as prepared as the NFL as they are today. Because today, colleges are now running NFL schemes now, you know, so quarterbacks are getting more, they're more prepared for the NFL now than they were back then. And I think he's a product of that, you know, he got thrown in there 
And when you throw that number one guy in there and there's a lot of pressure to win and they want you to win now and you're not playing well and the organization wasn't very patient. And I think it just kind of sent him on a spiral, you know, because I saw what he was like when we played in Atlanta that first year. He was he was amazing, you know, so. Um, but I, I probably would attribute to that. There was just so much pressure on him. I don't think he was as prepared to make the jump. And that's what impresses me about quarterbacks today. I just think that there's more training now. They have um, they're running similar offenses in college. I think they're better prepared for the NFL now. Yeah, and it also feels. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to build on that. It also no, feels sure, like um, you know, if if your first rounder, a lot of times they would sit and they would have to learn for a year. And if they didn't get the opportunity opportunity to do that, like Jeff George. You know, they started to learn to survive in the yeah. NFL rather than thrive. You know, they're just like, I, I, I just got to do whatever I can do to get to the second down, third down, and, and you don't learn the good traits. And I think that that's why you see a lot of these guys that, you know, they start off high draft picks and then they kind of go down and then they kind of go back up a bit, you know, back in, in your era, the Jeff George era, whereas now, you know, you get guys that hit the ground running. Um, not so much Trevor Lawrence, but, uh, you know, like Joe Burrow, right. you know, but, so. Yeah, but even even Trevor Lawrence, think about it. I mean, how much how many times do we hear about whether he was going to start and he should start? It was there was so much pressure on him mm-hmm. to replace Garoppolo. It's like and I was just like, guys, just do what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. Just right. let him sit on the bench. Yeah, like, just let him sit play for like the last game or two, you know. But yeah, exactly. Yep. That's so valuable for a quarterback to not have the pressure, just sit on the bench and learn, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's and perfect. One, one more question. Um, the, um, as far as the, so that's Jeff George dropped in first round. Now, Joe Montana, um, he wasn't even supposed to be good at all. Uh, he came out of Notre Dame. He was just like, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll just throw him in there starting quarterback. But as we know, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play the game. Why do you the, think Mike, the greatest? No, 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 never. I will I'm, never ever say I, that. I'm ever. a 49ers fan, JJ. I gotta say, the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> what What made Montana the greatest semi quarterback? I, I think it was just him, him, his commitment to be great, kind of like Brady. Commitment to be great, willing to do what it takes to be great from a preparation standpoint, from a study standpoint, from a practice standpoint, you know, because when Montana joined us, I got to see, understand this, I play with all these quarterbacks at this, you know, and then Montana comes and I could see right away what made him difference. You know, just how he prepared for every single game and how he executed in practice and and the level that the intensity that he practiced and then how he was just so into the small details, the little bitty things, and then how he performed in the games. And that's probably like when you said, you know, name a quarterback. I hated that you took Montana away because (laughs) Montana was the only quarterback I played with where if you know you need a score and it's. 50 seconds or a minute, you look in his eyes and you know, okay, I just got to do my job. Or many right. times you look at a quarterback's eye and you're like, man, I hope he can lead us down the field. <laughs> but with Montana, you do without a doubt. And you just need to make sure you did your job. And so I would just say his 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 unwilling, um, his never-ending desire to just be mediocre. He was always willing to do the work, to be the best, even if, he won four Super Bowls. When he joined us, 
he came in, he studied like a rookie, he prepared like a veteran, and he led like a pro. He was a consummate leader and set the right example for us. Yeah, I don't think that Joe Montana would need that, uh, you know, four hours of tape study clause in his contract like Tyler Murray got. <laughs> no, those quarterbacks, man, you're like, I remember Joe, he like, you get there and he's already there. And then you have a long day watching film, treatment, and you leave and there he's still in there. And you're like, mm-hmm. man, don't, don't you go home ever? Like, <laughs> you know, that's what, and you know what though, guys? That's what a lot of the quarterbacks did. A lot of the starting quarterbacks did that, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's why the whole thing with Kyler Murray was just so puzzling because not even just the great ones, pretty much most of the quarterbacks put in that kind of study time. Yeah, it's yeah. wild that he had to have uh, in his contract four, uh, four hours, like over the course of a – when I saw it, it was like, oh, four hours a day? And I was like, wait, no, this is per game. <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's just not putting in the work. It's like, Sorry. So, yeah. with, all right. With, with Kyler Murray, I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm sorry. I know he's like, I need to get to here. I'm, in, I'm <laughs> supposed to be in control, Mike. Uh, I, cool. I, I, no, I know. I got one more though. One more since Kyler. All Murray right. Brought him. All right. All right. Um, uh, Kyler Murray uh, playoff game says I'm not going to go out there. What what message would that send to you coming Ooh. into this season as a player at, at wide receiver or Kyler Murray? Well, you know you can't count on him. You know, you're questioning his leadership. You're questioning his commitment. You're questioning his priorities because the priority is to help the team win at all costs. It's a team mm-hmm. sport, you know. So as a wide receiver, I would really go in there with uh, skepticism if I could really trust this guy. And I would probably be looking over his shoulder and wondering, okay, who's the backup? Just in case, who's the guy that's going to step in there? So um not a real good example when you are the team leader because quarterbacks by default they're the team leaders and they really need to set the example they need to set the pace and the tempo of the team Absolutely. all right that was a good question mike so i'll, I'll allow you <laughs> all right so now we'll talk about uh the daily mist and and fasco so uh the daily mist daily motivational inspirational success tips why don't you talk a little bit about what that is, you know, how, how people can access it, all that good stuff. Yeah, that's just something I came up with because if you follow me on social media, I just I have a habit of just sharing success tips, things that I've learned, lessons I've learned, um, something I'm experiencing, because I know there's people out there that need this information. They need um, they just need advice on how to achieve the goals that are important to them. So I came up with that daily miss, like you said, mm-hmm. motivational, inspirational success tip, so that if someone's looking for something to build them up, to lift them up, to get them through the day, they know that if they look up one of those, they're going to find something that moves them, that moves the needle for them, you know, because we all need a little pick me up from time to time. And that's kind of one of my goals when you go on any of my social media channels. I might share NFL stuff. I might share family stuff. But I'm always going to share some kind of inspiration because that's what helped me. That's what got me from point A to point B. And if I can be there to help others, I want to do that. Yep. That's great. And we'll have a link to JJ's uh, Twitter uh, in the bio as well as a place where you can buy buy his uh, his book, uh, his website, not Amazon. So we'll we'll get that there. Um, so you also have FASCO, failures, adversity, setbacks, challenges, obstacles. Uh, where did you come up with this? How do you apply it? Does this tie into your daily mist? You know, why don't you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, that I came up with as I was giving my keynotes um, about four years ago. Every time I give one of my presentations, I would use the words. You'd hear me say, you know, failures. You'd hear me say obstacles. And I kind of have them sprinkled throughout the presentation. And one day I'm like, you know, even though they have kind of unique meanings, to me, they all kind of mean the same. You know, it's when something, you know, unexpected happens. Something's preventing you from achieving a goal. You know, there's an there's an obstacle. There's a letdown. There's just something that's in the way. And so I came with that acronym so that I could talk about that as a whole. Because the message I was trying to send to everyone, guys, when I talk about that is that when you have these FASCO moments, these are opportunities for growth. These are opportunities for you to get better. If you're willing to ask yourself, why did this happen? What can I learn from it? And how can I turn this into an opportunity? And that's what I'm trying to teach you because sometimes when people face with adversity or an obstacle or whatever it is, they quit, they give up, mm. they throw in the towel, they start making excuses. No, no, I want them to be energized by those moments, but I also want them to learn from it and use it as an opportunity to get better. Absolutely. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so uh, that's all I had for uh, Mist and Fasco, unless Mike, Mike, was there something you wanted to talk about with uh, with those two? Um, no, I just I just want to say that um, every video that you have, JJ, is is inspiration. Um, I, in fact, I look forward to it. Uh, even even if I don't need an inspiration, you're you're inspiring me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, just. You know, everybody out there, check them out. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Um, it, it's you you tie in, um, as you mentioned, not only with players and business and everything else. It's it's just wonderful. Um, so I just personally wanted to say thank you for um, for doing all that and and continuously being an inspiring individual. Thanks, yeah. Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, this was a great talk. I was, I was very glad to have you on. I do have one more question with you. So your bio, I read your bio, says you have eight kids. So what was the hardest? Olympic training, being in the NFL, or having eight kids? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the kids. <laughs> Definitely <right>. the kids. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, eight kids. All right, well, then. Um, well, I, don't know, I don't know if you know. Mike probably knows, but, you I know. Do. We have three biological children, and right. then we had, we adopted five nieces and nephews uh, back oh, wow. 16, 17 years ago. So, it, and it all happened so fast. So, like you asked the question, yeah, it was like, whoa, what's going on here? But, you know, my wife and I working together. I got an incredible wife, and we worked together, and you know, we we did our best. And fortunately, um, the kids are doing good. The youngest one moved out last year, so we're now empty nesters. Oh, wow. This next phase. Uh, (laughs) The the house probably echoes now. Yeah. All right. All right. So, JJ Burden, thanks again for joining us. The book is When Opportunity Knocks, Eight Surefire Ways to Take Advantage. Uh, You can find him on on Twitter at JJ Burden. Uh, We'll get all the social media links, links to the book, links to the website. It'll all be in the uh, episode description. So, JJ, thanks again for joining us. Um, Any Anything else you wanted to plug that I didn't get in there? No, I just appreciate you guys um, just inviting me, giving me the platform. I never take this for granted. And uh, it's just another opportunity for me to share something positive, to try to lift people up and help them understand that, hey, 
any goal you set is attainable, but you got to be willing to do the work. You got to be willing to commit to it. If you do that, the results will take care of themselves. Yes, that's sir. perfect. And uh, that's, I, we've been going through some stuff and I tell my wife, nothing worth doing is easy. So that's exactly what, how it, how it goes in there. So uh, JJ Burden, thanks so much for joining us.